WAPG Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode almost 300. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 560 in the Hyatt Regency Recording Studios in Atlanta, Georgia. In this episode, a mystery plane out west, a bird strike, and Air France indignant after cabin crew held in Argentina. More news, your feedback, and the latest Plane Tales installment, The Charger. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 299, almost 300, is ready for pushback. Hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain for a major legacy carrier here in the good old U.S. of A. And joining me from the beautiful Carolinas, we have the equally beautiful Dr. Steph, who is a doctor, commercial airline, no, commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, marathon runner, skydiver, and so much more, Dr. Steph Plummer. Well, hello, Captain Jeff. Listen, I am really looking forward to the show tonight. I think it's going to be one ever. I'm very highly entertained, and I can't wait to get started and, and talk about all of our news and feedback that we have. So, awesome. Two ninety nine, and yeah, we'll. Oh, she's breaking up again. Yeah. And also joining us from the Atlanta area here in this hotel studio with us tonight former regional jet pilot and now acme captain extraordinaire dana colton hello apg community great to be back yet once again for 299 we're looking forward forward to uh, the upcoming 300 it's going to be an exciting episode this evening with a uh, small room big cast and uh, no ac so it should be a nice sweaty fun time for us uh APG uh, podcasters this evening. Looking forward to a fun night. It's never been better, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We have a lot of folks here with us, a lot of co-hosts. I hope you all took showers. Yes. And <laughs> let's see. <laughs> where is the Trollo Low? It's not there. There it is. Here we go. Okay. That's the music I play for people who are not regular guests on the show. Oh, don't you love it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's enough of that. As he sings in the background there, let me introduce Colonel Jeff, the other Captain Jeff. Captain Jeff. He is uh, with us uh, here in this uh, August studio. If I'd known how small my room was going to be, I'd have tried to move this someplace else. This no, is, this, this is, is fun. This is the postage stamp edition. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Colonel Jeff is here on a layover, and uh, he, uh, we thought, well, this would be a great opportunity to get together an excuse to drink beer and uh, record a podcast. So, welcome, Colonel Jeff. Yay! 
Oh, by the way, he is also a, an airline pilot for a major legacy carrier based here in the U.S. of A. And uh, moving around the room here, of course, fellow airline aviation podcaster, Mike Carroll's Flying in Life podcast. Good evening. Hang on. Okay. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Wherever you are in podcast land, how's it going, everybody? I'm glad to be here. Second podcast of the day. So this is a it's a great podcast day. It is. It is. And speaking of great podcasts, we're following another great podcast, the Plain Talking UK podcast. They uh, finished a little while ago. And uh, now we're here to do uh, another episode of APG. We've already done one this week. Um, and uh, if you're listening to the audio-only podcast, of course, you're thinking, what, there was another one this week? No, you're not listening to this until the following week. And we're trying to get these uh, things all in the can before the official episode 300 on Saturday, the 25th of November. All right. And... We also have another, the Trollalo guy still singing, so that means we have time to introduce our other co-host tonight, our other crew member, and he is also an airline pilot, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. His name is Gary Donato. Great to be here. Hello, everybody. Have a good evening. <laughs> he sounds like he's leaving. <laughs> he's pretty smart. No, he's going to pass off now. <laughs> okay. And you know what? We I actually, believe it or not, we there's a there's a, a, also another airline pilot here in this room. He's sitting over in the corner. He is uh, Captain Colonel Jeff's uh, co-pilot. He's uh, a brand new pilot for this uh, unnamed legacy carrier. And his name, Jesus. And he's saying he's saying he's giving us a thumbs up. He does not want to talk. I don't blame him. He's just kind of uh, wondering what in the heck he's gotten yeah, into. I, I tried to warn him, but it just I couldn't give him a full picture of this until he actually saw it. Yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy. And this is not normal, actually. This is no. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, OK. Anyway, so I hope everybody's doing well out there in podcast land, and uh, we're excited uh, to get together this evening to do another show. And as I mentioned, uh, episode 300 is coming up in just over a week, and uh, we wanted to make sure you had something to listen to earlier in the week. And many of you listening right now are probably in your cars with your families, traveling, driving somewhere. So I'm hoping that we're going to give you something entertaining to listen to while you do that. All right. Um, now, I'm trying to find my show notes. Where are they? they got to be here somewhere. Okay. Here they are. Um, let's start off by uh, talking about the upcoming special show, uh, episode 300, which is uh, a week from tomorrow. And Steph, you want to tell uh, everybody about what uh, we're planning on doing for the show and when it's going to happen and all that? I can provide some details, certainly, and I may need some help from uh, Dana in just a second. But um, can you guys hear me okay now? Is that yeah. better connection-wise? Okay, yeah. perfect. So, uh, sorry, I don't know what that was about earlier. Hmm. Um, yes, so next Saturday <laughs> is going to be episode 300. Uh, that is the 25th of November. It is going to be in the Atlanta, Georgia area. If you are going to be in the area, it is two days after the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., but if you are in the area and you would like to join us, we've heard from many of you already, please send us an email to 300 at airlinepilotguy.com, and we will give you all the information for where we're going to be, when we're going to start, what you need to do to join us. 
I think the tentative plan is to start around 11 a.m. for the actual podcast. Um, no, we're nope. going to start setting up about 11. Yeah, we're, we're, we're saying gonna everybody can kind of show up around 11 o'clock. I see, I see, I see. Sorry, and then I who knows? So, noon, one, two. Yeah. Okay. Seven, eight, so, nine. So, yeah, if you're planning on coming, be there at 11. Plan yeah. to be there around 11. And we'll start, uh, you know, plus or minus seven two hours to five hours sometime later. on saturday uh, yeah yes. sometime in the afternoon I'm sure it's of gonna be, saturday the 25th it's going to be alcohol induced and food induced so it will be uh surrounding that i'm sure most of the day so it's going to be a big yes. function uh the and from what i understand dana is going to be cooking up a storm for us as well so yeah tell us about that dana what do you what do you have uh, planned for us yeah. uh, i decided to cook up uh um hamburgers and hot dogs and Oh, great. All exciting. And some potato chips? I was going to bring <laughs> potato chips and some uh, potato salad made, made at the local store. No, of course not. I'm not going to come on now. I mean, you can't ever trust a skinny chef. <laughs> That's the reason why I'm not skinny. This is why I don't cook. Because hey, well, <laughs> <laughs> you can't trust explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Justin. Uh, at this point, because it is a Thanksgiving holiday, it's going to be a challenge for me to be able to get to the market and get everything I need, but it's going to be well worth it because uh, I haven't fully planned out the menu as of yet, but lunch is going to be served and dinner is going to be served, and the plan is going to be something along the lines of... uh, Homemade beer, not homemade, but beer brats, uh, hot dogs for lunch, maybe some burgers or grilled chicken, because uh, my smoker is going to be very busy all day. Uh, it's Friday, I'm going to go ahead and smoke up probably five, four or five, maybe six racks of ribs, baby back ribs, and then uh, finish them off on Saturday. And then Saturday morning, get up bright and early, probably about five in the morning, and I'm going to take a big old pork butt with the bone in, and I'm going to put that on the green egg and let it smoke all all day so uh and have all the uh sides with it i haven't decided well i'll probably make my homemade baked beans probably some other fixings along the way as they say down here in the south which i'm not used to saying fixings yeah sides is it's a lot of fixings fixings man there's there's no g on the end of the word it's fixings (laughs) oh and now we're hearing ourselves on another yeah. ourselves. So. Anyways, <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be a great day. Uh, the only thing I would recommend, uh, if you want our address to be able to show up, you need to contact us. I really need a count so I know how many people to cook for. I'm planning between 30 and 40 is my, my, my goal. Uh, I can do more. I can do less. Uh, but uh, the plan is for the food. We'll be providing the food, but BYOB. So contact us so you can have the address. It is in Smyrna, Georgia. And uh, if you need any information from me regarding a place to stay, you know, recommendations around me, uh, please don't hesitate to let me know. We look forward to seeing everybody next Saturday. Yeah. So really, we have no idea what we're doing. We're just going to be eating and drinking and trying to do something that resembles some kind of a show. If but you'd if it's like any- a reference, you can watch APG 200. Yeah, that's true. That is a good example of probably what the show is going to be like, which is uh, really hard to describe. And I, I've got plenty show of, or the 300 show. <laughs> I, I've got plenty of room in the house. Anybody that's going to crash here is more than welcome to pass out, more likely. And uh, I haven't talked to Jeff about any uh, any uh, whether we're going to provide any beverage at all, mm-hmm. as far as maybe a pony keg of beer or something like that. Oh, I don't know. We haven't really talked we haven't about talked that. Talked about that, but you know, we'll certainly uh, we'll certainly have some beverage uh beverage is available so we're looking forward to seeing everybody 
All right. All right. So that's out of the way. Uh, let's talk. Um, well, let's see. Uh, Steph, what have you been up to this past uh, week? Or actually, yeah, past week. It's been about a week, hasn't it? Um, I think so. I'm actually just trying to remember when we had our last show. I don't exactly recall. Let's see. Well, um, you know, you weren't with us on Tuesday, so it must have been correct. like last, last Thursday. Thursday, I think. Yeah. Last Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, not a whole lot here. I have not done any flying myself, but I oh, did. Oh, you said you were going to try to do some flying. No, I did, but that was actually before the last show. Oh. So I think I talked about it. Night yeah, I think you did. Night yeah, yeah so, that's true. Um, went out, got night current. That was a week ago haven't had a chance to go back out even though this week would have been perfect for it i've had a very busy week at work actually kind of been put into a little bit of an hr role for the moment um which is <laughs> like a real hr thing. role like a real yeah one? which is it's not actually my my favorite thing i i, I like doing it for the show here but um <laughs> as part of my the pace real so responsibilities <laughs> at work it's it's not my favorite yeah um so that's been keeping yeah. me very busy um it's just been a really I think I've mentioned this before. This is a really busy time of year at work. So I've just been kind of swamped with all of that and looking forward to a few days off coming up for Thanksgiving and seeing y'all in uh, Georgia for the 300th episode and moving into the holiday season. So not, not anything terribly exciting, but just trying to make it through. So, okay. Dana, what have you been up to? You know, I had a great week. Uh, I had a record at Acme. Flew, I mean, let's say, I have to think about that for a second. Three, four, seven, nine, three. So that's 12 legs. Of the 12 legs, I kept the aircraft for seven of it, including an overnight. So it was pretty, I know it's one, two overnights actually. It was amazing to keep an airplane without having to do the uh, Acme shuffle. So it made that trip that was kind of miserable into a nice, easy trip. And the weather was cooperative um the only problem i had was i felt like i was flying with the energizer bunny <laughs> energizer bunny was but didn't stop for one second talking so ah. yeah he just uh you know come out come off the airplane here he is talking the air off of the gate agent talking the flight and he's talking to me and he was talking about stuff that i had no idea what he was talking about because i was just over my corner doing my own little thing <clears throat> so does yeah. he have a podcast as well <laughs> uh you no know, he's a magician <laughs> Okay, and he's has stage fright, and I wonder why. <laughs> it's amazing to me because he he's a night. I mean, and I'm not saying this in a direct. If he happens to be listening to it, he, I'm not going to use his name. Obviously, I, d- I doubt he's listening. But I doubt he's listening because you know he he has much more important things to listen to, like magic show podcasts. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> anyways, he, he great guy Ouch. to fly with. Nothing wrong with it, but just you know, at some point, I had to take. Excedrin, because it was just too much. <laughs> you know, that's interesting. That's an interesting thing you mentioned. Um, that you know, I, I would imagine a lot of uh, passengers uh, wonder what it's like on these long flights in a cockpit. You know, are we continually talking about things, or is it completely silent, or is it a combination of the two? And I'd say in most cases, it's a combination, combination. where you, you talk for a little bit, but then you 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 stop talking because you kind of want to you know, collect your thoughts and, you know, whatever. And if you're flying with somebody who is constantly talking, it is very, very fatiguing. And I can't tell you how many times I've flown with somebody like that. And I'm looking out the window on my side of the airplane, just rolling my eyes thinking, will you please shut 
up. I think that's Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. He's sitting quietly in the corner going, um, I can see a lot right now. But. Well, you know, when it becomes particularly irritating, it's when you're trying to shoot the approach. Well, what, what's the rule below 10,000 feet? Ooh. Yeah. I think it's a sterile cockpit rule. Yeah. I don't need to know about my investments on final. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> it's it, it just trying to help. Man, he's know? just trying to give you some good advice. Yeah. Well, you know, he is. I have to. I do have to give him uh, props because he has three daughters and a wife, and it's just him. So he fits right in with the ladies. You know, just talking the whole whole entire Perfect. Now, Glenn, I'm not ranting. Come on, stop it. Wow. <laughs> no, it was, it was it was okay. I mean, Dana's it, ranting. I'm not ranting. I never, <laughs> I never rant. But it was it was a good trip. A uh, good week. Um, sorry, I missed the the podcast on Tuesday. It, uh, of course, you won't have that. Uh, that was last week. Now. Yeah, time this yeah. is released, but really looking forward to 300. That's all I can say right now. That's that's it's all my agenda. I bid my entire month of November around two things: Thanksgiving and APG 300. So ah, uh, nice. I, I don't go back to work now. I finished yesterday. Went home after my fatiguing trip and took a nice three-hour nap. And now I don't have to go back to work until the 28th. So it's beautiful. Nice. I don't no, know. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. I'm clearly in the wrong profession. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes, you are. I have to work most of next week. Well, you know, it's not too late, back. Steph. You know, just go no, out there no, no, and it's start not, flying. It's not too, I know. I just need like, you know, 1,100 more hours. I'll be good. Hey, Steph, yeah. It's not a big deal. We get some cheese over here to go with that wine. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. yeah. Feel the love. <laughs> not. <laughs> Only kidding, honey. <laughs> that's the fail horn yep yeah, yeah. <sighs> you, can edit, you can edit that out yeah no i won't <laughs> i could i won't mark this down for editing yeah. <laughs> uh anything else uh interesting that we want to talk about or not so interesting before we move on to the java jive the coffee fund okay forever hold your peace here we go we can sing if you want, because there's no latency here. That's right. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. No thanks. <laughs> I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they, they'll continue to sing in the background while I talk about the wonderful people that have contributed to the Coffee Fund. And the Coffee Fund classic method, we have Nicholas Hewitt. Thank you, Nicholas, for contributing via the uh, PayPal classic method. And we have a new producer. Where's my bell? Bell, bell, bell. Here we go. It's like right here somewhere. All I can find is the... Fail horn, and that's not what I want to bring. <laughs> uh, well, just pretend that you hear a bell. Oh, here it is. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, new producer, Ham Radio Jim. You've heard of Ham Radio Jim. Okay. Dana is mentioning or motioning that he's burning up in here because we don't have the air conditioning on because it's making a lot of noise. So we're just going to have to suffer for the APG. He's looking at me like he wants to kill me. Okay. So take my shirt off. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> anyway, That's back to the coffee fund. Forget. <laughs> so the coffee fund is your way to 
<laughs> support the show financially. Jealous. Yeah, Java Jive, Coffee Fun, CarolinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. There you go. Uh, that's enough of that. Let's move on before things get really, really bad here. They're and not. People start. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I just, I, people maybe need to know that I actually did have a different intro before we did the actual intro. And I did put in a disclaimer that I was not responsible for anything going on. Today. <laughs> I would just like to reiterate, I have zero control over any of this, and my apologies. Yeah, in it's not Steph's fault. Not it's my not. fault. Yeah. Well, Steph, we sure. all love you. You know that. Yep. Let's well, move on with this award-winning we'll show here. Men, right now, talking with you. <laughs> okay. Here we go. What else could the lady want? <sighs> Stand by for news. Let's start off with our first item of news. And this is a very, very strange one, if you ask me. Uh, this is uh, an event that occurred out on the west coast of the United States, and it involved um, a mystery plane. And uh, this is from, I'm trying to pull up the uh, site, and it's not pulling up very well here. Uh, the, what is it called? Do you want the, me to read it? Please do, Steph. So this is from The Drive. Um, I don't know where that's actually from, but that's the... TheDrive.com. The drive and uh, it says something quite out of the ordinary occurred in the skies over Oregon on October 25th, 2017. Mystery aircraft was flying in daylight hours among the steady stream of airliners that traversed from south to north between locales in California and Nevada and cities like Portland and Seattle and beyond. The incident began, at least as best we can tell, around 4.30 p.m. near the California-Oregon border and resulted in multiple pilot eyewitnesses, recorded air traffic control audio, and eventual confirmations from both the FAA and the North American Aerospace Command, NORAD, that it did ad indeed occur. The first inklings of the story came uh, shortly after the incident. Um, Sparse details at the time sounded like it was probably just another one of the often misconstrued incidents that happen in the skies around the U.S. every day, ones where aircraft with inoperable radios or transponders stray into areas they shouldn't. And sometimes these occurrences result in local fighter jets paying the wayward aircraft a visit at the direction of NORAD. But days after blowing off the incident, it later began to seem that there was indeed more to the story than just another Nordo private aircraft or lackadaisical is it lackadaisical yep, or lackadaisical? Lackadaisical. Lackadaisical. Okay. Lackadaisical pilot. <laughs> mm -hmm. Spit it out. So but you can you can say lackadaisical if you want, but I don't that think would that's be right. Okay. Yeah. I just wasn't sure. I, I saw that in advance. And I was I was questioning it. If you happen anyway. to be uh, based um, in Los Angeles, it's lackadaisical. Lax. I would say yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this is from a Reddit thread that was of particular interest uh, to the writer. Um, added some critical details and supposedly penned by a pilot who says there were in the sky over the Northwest in the early evening hours, um, or they were there in the sky in the Northwest over the early evening hours when the incident occurred. So it reads, 
just landed in Seattle, coming from the Bay Area. Beginning over Southern Oregon, we kept overhearing Seattle Center, attempting to track an airplane with no transponder who wasn't talking. A handful of crews were able to track it visually. Best they could tell it was between flight level 350 and 370 uh, northbound. Nobody close enough to see the type. Uh, just want to interrupt you. I'm sorry, Steph, yeah. but uh, you didn't know this, but I do have a little bit of audio. Well, Uh, when this was happening. And it might be interesting to hear a little bit of an exchange. I did uh, edit this a little bit for brevity. And uh, let's take a listen to some of this. Center, uh, good evening, Southwest 4712, flight level 380. And we're watching that uh, unknown aircraft at uh, 1 o'clock. Southwest 4712, Seattle, turn around here. And the U.S. Our base estimate is uh, 370. Thank you. 47 12, are you just visual or is there any TCAS in case? Uh, no negative TCAS, it's just a uh, visual. Roger, keep me in uh, mind. Roger that. Since I'm 47 12, can you estimate the distance? Yeah, uh, our estimation is now between uh, 12 and 15 miles. Uh, Definitely further away than it was before. There's some clouds up there, so it's getting harder and harder to see it. But we still see the uh, the object there. Top 47, Paul. I didn't take your one one to two o'clock right now. Yep, uh, affirmative. Uh, between one to two o'clock. Top of 500. Contact Open Center 1194907. 1997. United 612, Seattle. Good. Eighty-five to ten miles for uh, an airplane that's maybe northbound three seven zero ish. Yeah, we got him. It's a white airplane. Yeah, about uh, ten miles away. Yes, sir. Is he about a beam overtaking? Yeah, he's a beam. It looks like he's slowly going. Uh, looks like right now, north behind Okay. First of all, I'd like to apologize for the uh, quality of this uh, recording. Uh, the This was probably pulled from uh, liveatc.net, and uh, that is a network of folks who uh, set up receivers to and scanners to record all these communications that are out there. And if you're wondering, uh, it does the... Is the radio transmission quality that bad when we are in the airplanes listening to this? And no, we hear everything crystal clear. No, Mike, (laughs) it's crystal clear. And uh, all that static and and, uh, weird noise in the background and stuff, we don't normally hear any of that stuff. So just wanted to make sure that people didn't hear this and think, wow, how can you guys tell what the air traffic controllers are talking, you know, telling you about and that that type of thing? Well, I I think maybe the white aircraft might have been Acme. MD-88 on the West Coast. They're not used to seeing that out there. <laughs> that could be. That was probably what it was. So why why didn't you want to uh, talk to anybody while you were flying out there? Well, because I've what never been over either. the mountains. I was completely and totally <laughs> flabbergasted on how beautiful they are. Just had no clue. I even turned on, <laughs> off the transponder so nobody could track me. Yeah. So this is this is an interesting incident. You don't see this very often, and uh, the, uh, the the agencies that were contacted to kind of uh, corroborate or clarify or confirm any of this stuff, uh, some said you know fully cooperated, and then others said oh, no comment. Um, who knows really what was going on here? Some people kind of surmise that this had something to do with a, an airplane that was carrying drugs. 
perhaps from, you know, somewhere south of the border and heading up toward Canada. Nobody really knows for sure. Do, does anybody have any any ideas here? I believe a long time ago when I was flying down to South America, actually, uh, thank goodness it was a full moon night. Uh, we had I saw an airplane pass us in the middle of the night and he wasn't on the TCAS. He wasn't on the radios and he went right with no lights on either. In the oh. middle of the night, up at you know, he's up at 33, 34,000 feet with us going the opposite direction. So, you know, those kinds of things do happen. This wasn't nighttime, so that's kind of weird. Um, you know, the whole idea that they don't have a primary radar target isn't that unusual because radar coverage is not as perfect as everybody thinks it is. You know, without our transponders, a lot of times they don't see us. I mean, the first time they know that we're not there is all of a sudden they lose our transponder and they're going to call you. Hey, we don't get your transponder anymore. Cycle your transponder. You switch to the other one and it works. So uh, the part I find interesting is the F-15s didn't find it. What I'd like to know is when did the F-15s launch? Now, they're in Portland. I'm not sure the area where they had to go to to intercept this the target. Um, yeah, the article talked about um, they weren't sure whether the uh, F-15s were already up and operating when they got the call or if they were scrambled from the ground and yeah they probably weren't up and operating unless it was a training mission that diverted them from but i don't think the airspace is that close yeah. and a, and a, on a typical training mission they wouldn't have the legs to go that far um without you know returning the base for fuel so that the uh the alert jets would but again it's you know you're looking at a, a pretty much max range right around 160 miles for the radar so and that's they, pretty sophisticated pretty, radar. Oh, yeah. That, uh, airplane, I mean, it's right? not, no airliner is going to beat that radar, you know, by trying to hide from it, mm -hmm. even down low in the weeds. So uh, my guess is that, you know, they did have some primary hits off and on. So it can't be any kind of stealth technology you know, if you want to go that far. So the F-15s would have seen it. It's just a question, were they there in time to see it? Did they ever get close enough? Yeah. Interesting. It's still quite a mystery. Um, not and the fact that it's outrunning a 7.3 isn't saying a whole lot. <laughs> it's not like we're going that fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mike, uh, any any ideas? Uh, Steph's trying to say something. I oh, think. go ahead, Steph. I don't. Oh, hang on. Oh, he muted you. <laughs> Sorry, Steph. Oh, well, that's why you can't hear me. I've been saying all kinds of stuff. And <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was very interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it really wasn't. Well, I just wanted to, um, you know, Jeff made a comment about the 7-3. What kind of aircraft is it that you fly? 7-3. Uh, Colonel Jeff? 7-3. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Oh, you know. And, it used to be an ignored, just, uh, Steph, when you get married, it happens a lot. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry I accidentally muted Jeff, you, Steph. don't worry. I mute myself. It's yeah, fine. that's true. It was probably a test flight from Area 51. No big deal. Yeah, well, it wasn't really that close to Area 50. Well, no. it's on that side of the country. But yeah, and they can go that far. Yeah, they do. Some of the things that go out there, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I have no idea what was going on there, but I thought it was interesting, and several of you thought so as well, and that's why you sent they us. They were practicing chemtrail. We do have some chemtrail news later yes. in the feedback section. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, let's don't talk about it, though. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, the next one involves um a bird strike <laughs> um this was and you definitely need to look at this um yeah. video in the show notes or just the picture like yeah, well the picture is good but the video is even better because the bird is actually uh, i don't i guess maybe the wind is blowing the feathers of this bird or something like that that's still i a, can't imagine the bird is still alive after <laughs> I all this. Either. like i really hope not the for the sake of the bird yeah it so. was uh 
The bird, uh, let's see, so this airplane, this American Airlines Flight 1498 was approaching runway 9 at Miami International Airport at about 11 a.m. when it struck a bird, a very large bird. Uh, the bird impacted and penetrated the radome of the Airbus A319, and then they put the registration number of the uh, Airbus, which I don't know why is important at all. A safe landing was carried out in the aircraft taxi to gate D-22 for normal disembarkation disembarkation. There we go. And there's people got off. Uh, the passengers got off the airplane at D-22. Well, birds often hit airplanes during flight. And I would like to make a point. Birds don't normally hit airplanes. Airplanes <laughs> normally hit the birds. <laughs> yes. right? I feel like the bird's like, ooh, a plane. I'm gonna yeah, I'm going to hit that right airplane. Yeah. Here no. I come. Anyway, so the reason why I thought it was interesting is that when you see the picture and the video, um, it's like, wow, there, you know, because we talk about sometimes these incidents like that radon that was uh, hit uh, a, a Delta Airline 757 charter uh, descending into uh, Chicago uh, Midway. Um, we talked about it on the last episode or the one before that, uh, and it left a very, very large um uh, indentation on the nose cone of the 7.5, and they're kind of surmising that this was a bird strike, uh, but there was no evidence of a bird strike because, but in this case, there is clear evidence of a bird strike. <laughs> you think? Yeah. What, what happened here? Ooh. Well, if you look at the picture, it looks like in the bird hit the nose cone and then it cracked it and the head slit slid inside and it's hanging there by its neck with its body sticking out yeah <laughs> i don't want to know exactly what the inside what of that ray dome looks like i'm just um, mm. or the, yeah clearly if bird does. the bird yeah the bird does. Does. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are just so cruel we were looking you know, at that what was it the 757 the, the delta one at in chicago uh -huh. um and you go how does that happen from a bird well, this is pretty clear evidence how that happens from a bird. You have a bird that size. It's going to make that kind of an impact. Yeah, another know? article I said it's some kind of goose that they hit. I can't remember exactly what yeah. kind. So, yeah. I mean, you can see from the picture it's a pretty big bird. When you fly, it, yeah, when you, you really put its neck out there. What it looks like when we hit a bird in flight. You know, you're going into Miami and Fort Lauderdale, they have what are those things? Yeah. Bird, those turkey birds? I don't know what they whatever? are, but they're big. Are they huge. turkey buzzards? Yeah, they're yeah, huge so. birds. Yeah, yeah, we've got those here too. Turkey buzzards are yeah. just big. Have not hit one birds. yet. Yeah. Hopefully never. Not going so wood. why do I always see a lot of trucks with rednecks on it look, looking for us to hit those birds for them so they can yeah. actually <laughs> Today's special. Yes. Dinner. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, Jeff, back at uh, back when I was working for Acme Compass before I was uh, purchased slash merged with current Acme, um, we had a bird strike in an A320 uh, going into Minneapolis where it hit a the airplane hit a trumpeter swan and it went through the ray dome and through the forward firewall slash forward pressure bulkhead it hit an access panel and the bird finally stopped traveling down the aircraft when it hit the e, &E compartment and the airplane was down for about 36 days with uh because it it blew its uh its pieces all over the e, &E compartment which had to be then uh cleaned my guess is with q-tips and alcohol wipes and uh, i'm glad i was not an amt on that aircraft <laughs> oh yuck yeah double yuck all right Let's go ahead and uh, make all the noise you want. Oh, now you're over. You're finished. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. Now. Dang. <laughs> I was no. really trying to be quiet. No, actually, we're pretty good. I, I muted yeah, you guys, Dana, too. You, you fail as usual, Dana. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have a uh, we have a, uh, a cooler with a bunch of ice cubes in it, and it makes quite a bit of noise. Mm. Um, 
anyway, so uh, again, as always, check out the uh, link to this uh, news item, this bird strike in the show notes. Uh, and let's see our oh, it's IPA. Excuse me. Who's going to drink all this IPA? Well, I don't know. Uh, are Episode we- 300 is here? literally in a week away, and Dr. Steph isn't here right now. Yeah. Pretty sure it's safe there, to though. say we'll be good to go. Yeah, we can keep it. Hold it over for uh, next weekend. What kind of IPA is refrigerator for that. Well, well can- <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of, lot of... Just keep it outside until then, and we'll get some ice. It's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm muted, aren't I? Yeah. No. No. No, you're not. not muted. Okay. But Steph's saying just keep it put outside. Your, put your headphone go. in. Well, you, you can know, hear what I we're have, saying. If I didn't have a pain in my neck because I'm bending over like this. You know. <laughs> well, here. Can we move the closer? No. As far as it goes. goes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, no. Oh, uh, there we go. Well, Dana, um, I hate to say this, but I think you could use an extension. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeff. Yeah. Jeff, I think I need a few. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. I, I'm, I'm talking speak, about my hair now. I'm, no, I'm talking about your headphone um, line cable cord. thing. Cord. Thank you. Sure That's you what were. she said. Yeah. It's about the length. Really. Uh-huh. Yes. Not about the girth. Uh, okay, let's move on. Because I do have the widest. Family show. Wait, no, no. I do have the widest plug of all of us. Uh. It is true, you do. You do have the Bose uh, nose. I do have the Bose headset with the battery attached when it's really wide. Talking about my headset. Okay. Let's move on. (laughs) With with the biggest earplug. Uh, Air France indignant after cabin crew held in Argentina. The president of Air France, KLM, Jean-Marc Jean-Yelec. God bless you. Thank you. Has expressed. Perfect. Nailed it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Indignation first. at the detention of members of a flight crew in Argentina and referred the matter to the French foreign ministry. France's SNPNC labor union, which represents cabin crew, said the employees were detained over a two day period after the daughter of a former Argentine justice minister who was a passenger on the transatlantic flight filed a complaint. The SNPNC union said the passenger had demanded an upgrade to business class, which was refused because the cabin was full. The passenger then sought a different seat, citing a neighbor with a disagreeable attitude. They were arrested by police, the cabin crew, and interrogated under conditions that flouted fundamental rights before they were incarcerated and later released without explanation, the SNPNC said in a statement on its website. In a letter to the Argentine embassy in Paris, The union said that the flight crew's purser was separated from colleagues during questioning and held in a room measuring one square meter without food or water under the surveillance of two armed guards. Like us with no air conditioning? (laughs) (laughs) There are no no armed guards in here. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) This is America. (laughs) Hello, Atlanta police. Uh, (laughs) Put the phone down, Steph. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, so much yeah, for that downtown Atlanta. I guess they. Uh, that's one of those things that uh, you're you're exposed to, so to speak, uh, when you happen to fly outside of the country that you're you're a, a, a citizen of, and uh, you don't have always have the same kind of rights that you enjoy in your in your home. Venezuela is good at this too. Really, we have several crews that can never let set foot in that country again. We have a flight attendant who happened to make the comment because their time is a half an hour different than everybody else's. And she was trying to explain to the passenger. She finally just, well, it's Chavez time. <laughs> yeah. Bad move nice. when there's a government minister on the airplane. 
Uh, so yeah, she's not ever never. Nobody's back. heard from her since. Yeah, you know, and this it, it, I'm not saying this happens often, but it it happens. Um, any given country, like you said, Jeff, you know, when you're a crew member going internationally, you have to be respectful and of the laws of the country that you're about to enter. And I can say from because I've been on the operational control side of things when we have crew members detained that's a big deal and that goes and people in my office don't stop working until our our employees are no longer detained by that country not only because we just want them not to work the flight in the morning that is like sidestep we want them to be um able to come back home we want them not to be in trouble with the the government where we just landed how often does that something like that happen uh, I've had it at least happen three or four times so far in my career that I've wow. known of when I've been working. So would you say like once every couple of years you get an I, I would say at least, at least once a, once a year. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. We've had, I mean, I know of crews that, you know, I've tried wow. to South America, iPhone products are big in South America to smuggle in. And I've, I've heard stories of one flight attendant had like 16 in the lining of his coat and he got caught. So he went to jail. Well, he's just very connected. Yeah, very, very. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to miss phone call because <laughs> they're like twice the price down there as they are here. So, wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, didn't want to fall off the bed. Oh, we were, we were, we were looking at a possible microphone catastrophe. Yeah, malfunction. Yeah, oh, I was going to fall off the bed. <laughs> yes. Are, do you mean our studio table? Yeah, studio table. Studio table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sound bed it's very it's very plush (laughs) (laughs) only the best for the apg all right uh that's it for the news we need to move on to something more interesting which is of course your feedback captain incoming message now Steve sent us something very interesting. Steve Horn, Captain Horn, the guy that does the uh, wonderful How I Got Here uh, installments. And uh, he said, you should check this out. It's a YouTube video, and he sent a link to it. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at it, but it's uh, pretty amazing. This. This, was, this was good. Yeah, it was from very Flight good. Chops. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the gentleman that does Flight Chops, and now I, I can't remember his name right off the bat. You know, bat. it sounded like Steve on the video, but I don't think it was. No, it right? wasn't Steve. It's not, it, it sounds a lot like him. It was. A, it says a uh, in the description. It says a low time pilot. So obviously it's not Steve. Uh, the guy had, no, the in the video, the guy has, oh, the was, guy who's flying has has sixty hours. Oh, okay, and it's his first night flight without his instructor. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you think that that Steve was the one that was narrating it? That's what it sounded like oh. to me, but I'm, I wasn't one hundred percent certain. Could, it sounded like his voice, but I could be wrong. Oh, you know what? It may have been. I'll have to ask him. Um, this was on the uh, flight chops. Uh, youtube channel and uh anyway so the the video which you'll have to watch we're not going to play it on uh, the show here uh the uh well let me le- read the description the, this pilot's abilities are tested as he faces a serious situation trying to land at night with an electrical failure and let's see so anyway the the, the guy that's a low time pilot pilot he's flying at night and uh, there there's some kind of an issue with the cell of one, of the battery and it yeah caused- so what what happened was he went to put on his landing light he'd already been well he tried to contact the tower where he was going to land at a local um just small general aviation airport and the tower was already closed um and there was no other traffic in the area he'd already made his radio calls he was on basically a, a kind of base 
downwind to base turn and he went to put his landing leg on and everything electrical in the airplane quit. And it looks like a Cessna 172 or similar. Um, I'm not, I think it's Cessna 172. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's great watching it. I actually, you know, you can feel a little bit of the tension, even though the pilot doesn't sound terribly tense or nervous. Um, just the way the narration goes, because they bring up a lot of things that we should all be thinking about. Um, you know, if we, if we were to find ourselves in this situation in a single engine aircraft at night, um, at a basically uncontrolled tower now, even though there's no other traffic or other things to worry about in the area. Um, it's interesting to watch because he notes the pilot actually had a, um, backup uh, or a handheld radio, but it wasn't readily accessible. He was basically on final and he had already, uh, turned on the, um, the runway lights. The, so what could possibly uh, go wrong at that point? You're, you're at night so and you see the uh, runway ahead of you and yep. it's all lit up beautifully. Continue, Steph. Yeah. So, um, you know, not to ruin it, but you really should watch it anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The lights turn off and he has no way to turn them back on because all of his electrical equipment on the aircraft is out. So he basically has to, and he, I mean, he's like a hundred feet off the ground when it happens. Mm -hmm. So the question is, you continue in land in the dark and where you can't see because you have no lights at all. No, no landing lights on the runway, no, uh, illumination from your own aircraft, or do you, uh, go around? But, uh, you know, in this case, the, the pilot landed and, uh, the consensus was basically that was the right idea because you you in a Cessna 172 the everything's electrical there your flaps are electrical so he already had flaps in he had no way to raise those if he was going to go around he you know doesn't know exactly what the electrical problem is so are you putting yourself at risk for fire or something else with that um situation it's better just to get the aircraft on the ground in that case and he really did a, a great job but it it feels very tense while you're watching it because they're narrating it and they're telling you all the things that are considerations, which, you know, if you put yourself in that situation, you know, you have one goal to get the aircraft on the ground at that point. Um, and maybe you're not thinking about all of those things, but it's really good from a learning perspective to, to consider all of that and think about all of it. So, and when you look at the um, video, they make a point that our human eyes are much better at compensating for um, lack of light and that kind of thing. So apparently they were saying that even though in the video it looks like there's you can't see a thing, uh, you as Dana won't be able to see a thing here very, very soon. <laughs> right? He's drinking these things. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind, of, kind of a startle factor. The guy has his um, handheld radio in his bag and not readily accessible, not thinking about the fact that he needs to make sure that those lights are going to stay on by, you know, clicking five times and five yeah, seconds or five whatever. Five times the, medium, seven, yeah. you know, whatever you want. Um, I don't know if um, your other GA pilot in the group, uh, dispatcher Mike, has ever landed at a uncontrolled field where the lights are not working and the landing light on your aircraft has quit. But it it's very dark. Um, I've had the electrical yeah. failure before. Yeah. Single engine. At night? At night. Oh. I was flying home bad from... Flying home from Minneapolis uh, with my best friend back down to uh, Lewis University Airport down in Chicago. And we were over Winona, Minnesota. And all of a sudden, I look over, there's the red light on over here. And that red light is the the amp draw, the low the vol, low voltage light. I go to my friend, how long has that been on? I don't know. Oh. And it was in a 182RG, 
which is uh, a hydraulically uh, electric, hydroelectric kind of type of uh, gear. So the first thing I did is put the gear down and I was doing flight following and right away went with ATC. I'm like, hey, we got to get on the ground. Um, I, we, I still got radios, still got this. Uh, I need a vector to an airport with has something with maintenance and we basically overnighted in Winona, Minnesota because our, uh, our generator basically failed. Was it VMC? It was. Oh, good. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was the only time I've, do, it's kind of funny. Uh, he, he will now fly with me again. This is a good 15 years ago. He'll now fly with me again, but, uh, we actually diverted the second time on, on the way back home the next day because of a, a line of thunderstorms that came through, uh, the airplane we were flying had a storm scope and I'm doing the distance and there I see lightning on the storm scope and I see where we want to go and the lightning in between us. I'm like, yeah, we're not going to do that. So we, we actually diverted a, a, a second time uh, on that flight. He goes, I'm never flying with you again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, I've saved your life twice. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You don't realize how good you have it. <laughs> yeah. No, but in the service, we actually did, uh, when I was flying OV-10s, which is a light twin turboprop, uh, we did uh, blacked out runway landings. And uh, you wouldn't turn on your uh, landing light until like 50 feet. And, it, you know, like you said, your eyes are a lot better. You, your peripheral vision is real good at seeing the rush. Not your direct vision. Your peripheral per, peripheral vision is better at, uh, for detecting things at night. How do you spell that? Yeah, I don't even <laughs> want to start. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it would be a challenge. I mean, to go from the runway lit up to blacked out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how far away is when this, when the runway lights went out, but uh, it was about 100, 150 feet, yeah, something so he's like got that. Got a few seconds for his eyes to adapt, which isn't very yeah. long. I think he he did the right thing. Oh yeah, and, I agree. Uh, especially yeah. for uh, yeah, yeah. being a low time pilot like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And and as Steph mentioned, uh, his demeanor and uh, the way he conducted himself, uh, which is the same thing. And I don't know why I said that. Peripheral. In the airplane with the passenger, because he had a couple passengers in there. A couple passengers. And yeah. He, who were not he put pilots. them to work a little bit. You know, he had mm -hmm. them holding the flashlight for so that he could see what's going on and trying to troubleshoot a little bit. Wow. And he didn't get overly complicated in his uh, description to them of what was going on um i think he did a really good job yeah he didn't start everything. screaming or no, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. He kept, crying he kept his cool and yeah that's a good know, thing. He, he knew he had the field made for what he was doing so yeah. that helps out a lot but he didn't you know panic in that situation and it helps when you turn the master switch on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was in the uh, second video that uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean another thing too like uh, in a small general aviation airplane if even if your your generator dies your battery dies you have no electrical power your engine's still gonna run it exactly just, it's the way it is i mean we're we're not using the battery to ignite the spark plugs those are runoff of magnetos. Those are completely separately different. So your engine's still going to run, even though you don't have any electrical power. I just want to add that as well. That's a good thing, yeah. right? But I thought the, yeah. the the good point that was made was really know your aircraft because in a Cessna 172, the flaps are part of the electrical system, right? Yeah. So yep. if you already had your flaps down and you lose your lose all of your electrical, you can't get those flaps back up if you're going around. But could, so you have another, to take that another real good reason why to fly Piper. Over or or, <laughs> or know, beach craft, but I mean, would it, would he have been able to? Uh, would he have been able to go around though with the flaps out like that? Uh, <laughs> just wondering. Yes, but okay. it wouldn't have been a, a, It wouldn't have been by you know the standards or the the checklist. So I don't really care. I was just wanting to play that little sound. <laughs> <laughs> I, know. I was waiting. It, I think he made the better of the two decisions there. So what to push the button that says to, go around? Yes. Thank yeah, you. Oga. 
to land. <laughs> oh, to oh, land. Oh, you're talking about the guy in the video. Gotcha. <laughs> Exactly. And you guys ever have a problem with the uh, Acme MD uh, 90s as far as electrical problems when we first got those because of the electrical uh, wiring harness? I had a total electrical failure coming out. Oh, no, I didn't. Thank goodness. On there. And it, uh, on the back of my neck, I've, the circuit breaker panel is right behind uh, the left seat of this thing. I just felt this huge rush of heat. Everything went dark and I had to turn on the emergency power and just it tripped off both generators. And then we got back on the ground, started talking to the maintenance guys, and there was a problem with these things with the wiring harnesses were bad. And they just, uh, Acme Airlines went and redid all the wiring harnesses on these things just, yeah, because when we first got them, they were actually electrical nightmares because they were sitting somewhere in the desert for years. Yeah. And uh, anytime any electrical piece of equipment sit for that long, it just can cause problems. Corrosion. And uh, and it took a while until we got the the bugs worked out of these things. And they have a, the '90s, uh, as opposed to the 80, 80 series, has a really weird electrical system. They don't the uh, the generators, the engine driven generators, are not mounted on the generator or the uh, engine accessory case. They're actually in the fuselage, and uh, they're called what variable speed, speed constant, constant frequency, frequency VSCFs that are uh, yeah, it's just a weird system. And uh, they were doing that to try to. I think save weight or something like that. I'm not sure exactly why they they went with that system, but it, it, they determined after they did that it was not a good idea because they weren't very reliable. But apparently, they whatever they've done, I have you know knock on wood, I have not had any issues with the. Uh, I haven't had any issues lately either with them. But well, I bet that got your attention though, didn't it, Gary? Well, it's it's funny. It's uh, when you first check out the captain, like the first six months, I call it the aviation gods. The weird stuff happens to you for the six, done that. First, first six months. <laughs> yeah. And after six months, it, it settles down. But the first six months, strange yep. stuff happens to you. And that was one of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, wow. it gets your attention at night. Yeah. So those first officers out there, you're flying with a new captain. Look out. Yeah. Watch out. Might want to call in sick. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm not advising that though. Um, anything else uh, before we move on? Yeah. You need to check out the, uh, the video. Very well done. Uh, and a lot of lessons learned there. Um, let's move on with, uh, Ian. He says, uh, Hey there, Captain Jeff and ABG crew. It's Ian here again. I flew Acme from Vancouver to Seattle. YYC in that Vancouver, Calgary, Calgary. Calgary. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, to Seattle this weekend to visit the museum of flight amongst other things. I must say I'm beyond impressed with Acme. I booked a standard Joe Blow economy class seat on points, showed up to the gate and politely asked if there were any upgrades available and got bumped up to first class without having to pay uh, even pay anything extra. The staff on the ground and on the plane were fantastic. I visited the Museum of Flight and absolutely was overwhelmed by the amount of airplanes on display there. I took a pretty interesting photo of an old DC-3 with the B-707 Air Force One and Concorde in the background. I've also included a photo of an old 727 in United's classic livery. Please feel free to share this with the APG listeners. If anyone is interested in viewing more of my photography work, my website is, and then we'll put this in the show notes, of course, and you can check out Ian Griffin's uh, wonderful photography. On the flight back from Seattle to Calgary, I again politely asked, if there were any upgrades available and was again bumped up to first class. The seats were very comfortable. The staff was fantastic. And this is four out of four flights in the last year that Acme has impressed me. They are my new favorite airline to travel on. Best regards, Ian Griffin. Thank you, Ian. Wow. Yeah. 
How come we always get a middle seat when we deadhead? That's me tomorrow. I'm kidding. Politely to be upgraded. Yeah, perhaps you're not asking politely. The only way I get, and then Acme will be the absolute worst airline when next time that person walks up and says politely, "Can I be upgraded first up to first class?" No, you have middle seat in the last row, right next to the lav. Oh, and that seat doesn't recline. <laughs> Between two fat women. <laughs> Ouch. Hey, I haven't taken actually, a shower in a week. I know you guys are looking at these photos and we don't really have them up for people to look at. So we'll have to go to the link in the show notes. But I was looking at that um, uh, United 727 and I was just instantly brought back to, and I know Mike Carroll's probably has been to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. Mm -hmm with the United 727 that's there and has all the moving parts. And it's pretty interesting to, to go and see as an exhibit. And I just wanted to say for those of you who might be in the Chicago area, check out, uh, you know, the flight exhibit at the museum of science and industry, because it's Keep another good rubbing chance it to in. see all of that. Oh, Poor Captain Jeff sitting over there. He flew that airplane. Now it's <laughs> I know <laughs> museum. Well, actually it's definitely a museum. Now that's I'm the sorry. reason why they retired. it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's why Actually, that aircraft has a cool history too, and you can go online and watch um, the YouTube video where they landed it at Miggs Field. To um, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was that aircraft, and then they had to I forget where they took it. They took it basically across like Lake Michigan and uh, did some modifications to it, and then brought it back across the lake and across Lakeshore Drive and down yeah, to MSI. Yeah, it's a pretty cool aircraft. So. And it's uh, it's it's not only just in the Museum of Science and Industry; it's, it's hanging from hanging. the ceiling, and the exhibits on the second floor. Yeah. Oh, cool. And the, so the gear move once an hour, you know, you can actually see it and watch it and you can go inside and there's a lot of interactive stuff and they've got one of the um, engines on display. And That's what the really dinosaurs good. flew, Mama. <laughs> exactly. I'm still not bidding in Chicago overnight in January, February. I'm sorry. Yeah, really? Yeah, I wouldn't either. I would really like I, yeah, you're that. wise. <laughs> that was it. Uh, um, and it, I don't know if anyone here in the room has been to the uh, Museum of Flight before, but is a spectacular museum. Even though it's, uh, I know, I mean, our, our good friend Captain Nixon on the podcast, we can say that it's full of Boeing aircraft. But I mean, it. I, I uh, was out there last November, and me and my parents spent a good seven, eight hours in the museum and didn't see it all. It's spread across three buildings on both sides of the street there in Seattle. It is. Uh, and, you know, you joke about a 727 being in a museum. They've got number three of the 787 in, in the museum there in uh, in Seattle. The museum. One of the test uh, One of the tests, yes. Yeah. Uh, 787 number three sitting in the museum. So, it's, uh, it's a fantabulous uh, faci facility there. I look forward to seeing it one of these, one of these years. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. If I ever get to the West Coast. <laughs> yeah. Just do it occasionally. Yeah. Just to... Realize why you don't want to do it. All right. Uh, Larry writes, uh, Geezer from uh, Tulsa, you can almost always go around. Ah, I got to play it. You can by the way, that is sung by Ken Dravis. And I still haven't heard back from Ken uh, whether or not he is happy that I'm playing a little clip of his song or not, but I love your song, Ken, and I hope that uh, it's okay with you. Um, this is, uh, Larry says, a good article from the Bold Method folks about go-arounds, how a go-around can lead to an accident. So we'll put a link to this in the show notes and things to consider when you go around. And you should always consider go-around. In fact, most of us will say that 
when you're flying and you're coming in for a landing, you should always in your mind be thinking what I'm going to do is going to go around and then be pleasantly surprised when everything is working out and the runway's clear and you can see it and you go, oh, never mind. I think I'll land instead. But if you have the mindset that you're coming in and every time you're going to perform a go around procedure and you actually have to do it, it's uh, not a big surprise and it's a successful event. Part of my uh, approach procedures when I'm coming in is, um, first of all, I look across, make sure the gear flaps, auto brakes and speed brakes are on. And the next thing I'm doing is the litany for, you know, flaps 15, positive rate gear upset, missed approach altitude. And that's just going through my mind. And my fingers are actually on the toga buttons as I'm coming down the chute. That's just the way I do it. That's the way you do it. You guys yep. ever heard of a monitored approach? Monitored approach. When I was with uh, another uh, airline whose uh, name will be uh, left out, but their initials were TWA. Um, <laughs> never heard of them. Never heard of them. I can't that one out. But, uh, and we didn't do it here, but uh, it, it was on, on low, uh, on the 7 2, on uh, low uh, visibility approaches. The monitor approach is when the first officer flies, and his job is to go down, hit the decision altitude, and go around. And the captain's looking out the window, looking for the pitcher, and either he's going to take the aircraft away oh, yeah. or, the, or the first officer goes around. Yeah. So two things are going to happen. This first officer, all they know is, to, you know, if you're flying, is you're going around or the airplane's going to be taken away from you. We don't do it here, but I mean, it's... Uh, That's kind of an interesting... Kind of an, yeah, yeah, I've heard you, of that. And we you know, everyone's knowing what they're doing and doing their job, and mm-hmm. one or two things are going to happen. The captain's going to see it and land it or... Continue on. That, that, was first, the, so. that was the CAT 2 procedures on the DC-9 at another airline uh, with the initials NWA. Yeah. That I mean, used but, to be our CAT 3 procedures. Yeah. By me, but, flying a captain look yeah. outside. I, I, and at my regional, it was the same thing. It was a monitored approach where the exact same procedure you're talking about. So, the, like so did the first officers ever get to land an airplane? No. Oh, well, it was, it was mean, for lower landing minimums. Yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't not, not every. No, okay. no. This is low visibility. Cat 2s. Gotcha. Okay. I, I still haven't landed an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we see the maintenance write-ups every time you land. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There we go. <laughs> we missed that. <laughs> hey, uh, I skipped this again. I keep skipping this because I don't have a tab open with this information, but uh, Bill no more bourbon for you. Um, said <laughs> that, uh, that that show that we were talking about on a previous episode, I don't know how long ago. Uh, the uh, City in the Sky, I think it was the name of the uh, series, uh, is on Netflix. He just wanted everybody uh, to know that. So if you have a Netflix uh, that. subscription. And if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. It's a three-part miniseries. It's uh, really well done. Yeah, it reminds me. I have it on my uh, DVR at home next Saturday. I need to play that. Yeah, we could play it while we're eating lunch or something. Yeah. There you go. Very cool. Okay. Um Continuing on, Miss Liz sent us a little bit of feedback, and we talked about this on the last show. I just mentioned it briefly, and I said we'd be talking about it on this show, uh, but we were talking about uh, drones, so I need to find the old drone sound effect. Here we go. All right. This is from blog2.com. Never heard of it. Uh, Toronto uses drones to check passenger numbers in HOV lanes. First, they came for our delivery jobs. Then they started cultivating crops, filming movies, forecasting weather, and performing various other 
formerly human roles. Now the drones want to be cops too. But can they tell the difference between a real person and a hoodie stuffed with wood or a mannequin decked out for the Pan Am games? We'll soon find out, I suppose, when Ontario six its new fleet of AI-enabled traffic drones on local drivers. And uh, let's see, the Ministry of Transportation has reportedly teamed up with IBM, the University of Toronto, Oakville's The Sky Guys, and Silicon Valley tech firm NVIDIA to better enforce high-occupancy vehicle, i.e. carpool lane rules, on 400 series highways in Ontario, Canada. And I guess these things are going to be flying along, not right over the highway, but off to the side and using some kind of special optics. Uh, I don't know if it's optics or infrared or whatever technologies to determine whether that 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 stick figure person sitting in your passenger seat is really a human being or not. And if not, you're going to probably get a ticket. So it's a great use for a drone. Honestly, it is. And if uh, any pilots that are listening haven't done their part 107 to get their remote pilot operator certificate with the small UAS rating, it takes about two hours. And then you go and get go down to the FISDO and get a new certificate. I did that a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So that's kind of what you have to do if you operate a drone? Yeah. I mean, if you want to operate a drone commercially, you have to go get a part 107 commercial. Oh, for only commercial though. If you're going to be yeah, just a hobbyist. Yeah. You have if you to want to be a hobbyist, you don't need to do it. But if you want to get paid to use your... Uh, your drone. You need a you need mm. a certificate. Do you actually have to have a drone before you do that? No, you don't, because I don't have a drone yet. But yet, I you know, I got an appointment for a week or two to go get my certificate. It was good. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's well, good, good knowledge. Well go get it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's good yeah. common knowledge. And Steph, for you, I'll ask them at the uh, FISDO if that counts as my BFR, because I know Ooh, I know you're close. Yeah. I mean, it could be a I really close. March. It, it could be a March. really cheap new certificate for you to get to not have to do a BFR. Hey, that might well, be. I was going to do my commercial seaplane, but that'll work too. Hey, Steph, so. that might be a really good excuse for me to come on up to Charlotte and to give Charlotte? you a BFR because <laughs> I charge a lot of money. Or I could just get my commercial drone certificate. And... <laughs> or I could charge you nothing. We can just go out for a beer. Ew. That's perfect. Yes. Oh, $100 okay. beer instead of hamburger. Okay. Well, you know. I think I know who's going to do my BFR in uh, in about uh, a, couple of y- a couple of months. Months, yeah. Absolutely. That's why I'm still CFI. We got to have to throw some sand in to the back of the airplane, but we'll be good. I'm not saying for you. I'm not saying. Don't worry. I'll go to the bathroom that morning. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need I'll, I'll ride around in the back. They had to defill the airplane. What are you talking about? I'm not saying for you. I'm just saying we're two men of size. I mean, we're pretty, we're two pretty big guys. I mean, any, why are you telling the world that? Man of size. They're watching the video. I'm going to also get all these texts and emails from all these ladies now. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, like we all do. Yes, that's why I'm still a CFI because I can help my. It's the only way you can get ladies out. <laughs> do BFRs and IPCs, and I enjoy doing doing C. Do, I enjoy. <laughs> doing, going out and doing GA flying. It's not something I get to do very often. And so I, anytime I have the opportunity to go out and do some GA flying, it's always a lot of fun. So that's why I keep my CFI up and current so I can uh, go out and do that. Oh, I, you know, I just realized GA stands for general aviation. It's yeah, not Georgia. Georgia. Aviation. I thought not it was Georgia the whole darn No. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. That's, yes. that's you military guys. You have no clue. <laughs> well, that's true. All right. Uh, moving on. Frick, our friend in South Africa. 
uh, writes, uh, hi there, Captain Jeff Crew. I was really falling behind on the episodes due to my job, but now I found a way to catch up. In the past, I preferred to watch the YouTube episodes. I still do. But now I'm using Podcast Attic and downloading all the missed episodes. As roughly half my day is spent driving, this makes for the ideal time to listen to my favorite group of people. I do have a question, even before the 49s episode. Does it ever get old? Kid regards Frick in uh, South Africa. Jeff gets older. I'm yeah, I'm, yeah. Well, I get older. I think you have to ask Colonel Jeff though, because I think he's been around for the longest of any say, of us. I've been around since episode one. It does not get old. Yeah, I still love every episode. And you know, doing it, uh, I think that he may be also asking about the fact that you know, does it get old for us doing these things every week? Uh, you know, week in and week out. And I, I can only speak for myself, but no, it doesn't get old at all. In fact, it's the best part of my week getting together with friends to talk about aviation. And, and, and actually, when I'm not here, I'm so jealous of not being able to be involved with the, the podcast. There's so many times I'm thinking about it. I'm sitting there either working, flying, whatever I'm doing. Uh, I'm not with the podcast. I'd much rather be with the podcast and having a good time. And, and, and uh, you know, it takes a little work, obviously, but certainly worth it because we, we get to spend some time with uh, our fellow friends and get to spend a lot of time with the APG community, and especially with the feedback and, and answering some questions. So, yeah. Yeah, I miss it. And when I'm not involved and not able to be there, I really miss it a lot. So I look forward to every episode I can be a part of. So a resounding no. Does it get old, Frick? Absolutely not. Watching, listening, no, it does not get old. Go ahead, Steph. I said I I've been trying to leave for three years now, and I can't figure out. Oh, is that what you keep trying to? Uh, I keep I keep deleting her email. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I I, I always say I'm gonna quit tomorrow. It never happens. Tomorrow never comes. I echo. Dana's uh, comments 100%. Um, you know, this is certainly the highlight of my week every week, getting together with you guys who I consider great friends. I have no idea what just happened there in the background. Like, uh, just just, just Dana. Standard Dana. Don't worry about it. Bottles clinking. Uh, and, um, yeah. But really, well. it's, you know, it's the community, it's the interaction. I mean, if, if I wasn't a part of all of this, there's so many opportunities that I've had in the past few years that I would have missed out on or never known I could have even been a part of so um i have all of you to thank for that and i'm i'm really very happy and grateful for for all of that so this will never get old um we'll keep going as long as as long as, long as, as we're invited to the wedding yeah yeah and oh by the way uh, 300 will be our last episode Right. Okay, moving on. Can I cry We're, now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else am I going to do? Going to work? <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Hey, uh, Nick has uh, wasn't able to join us for uh, today's or tonight's show, but uh, he is here virtually with his latest episode. We miss you, Nick. We do. Uh, yeah. Plain Tales episode called, I think he said, The Chaja. Take it away, Nick. The old pilot's plain tales. The Charger. NATO called it Charger. It was the 60s, and the cool boys had long hair. The girls were in psychedelic tie-dye shirts and mini-skirts, and their dads sported trilby hats. Governments were in a post-war technology race. The U.S. and the USSR were fighting to get the first man onto the moon and also be the first to develop a supersonic transport aircraft. 
three contenders were striving to dominate the futuristic dream of moving champagne-sipping passengers around at speeds and heights only previously experienced by military pilots in fantastic machines whilst wearing complicated safety equipment. The American contender was the Boeing 2707, a Mach 3, 250-300 seat swing-wing design. By 1960, a cool million dollars, over 24 million by today's standards, had been spent and the overambitious design pared down to a conventional delta-winged airliner carrying 150 passengers. As the European and Soviet aircraft moved forward, the Boeing proposal fell behind schedule, became mired in political controversy and spiralling costs. With little more than mock-ups to show for over a decade's work, Boeing gave up. The financial burden nearly broke the company and forced them to cut their employee numbers by more than 60,000. The Boeing SST became known as the aeroplane that almost ate Seattle. As a result of the mass layoffs and with so many people moving away from the city in search of work, a billboard was erected near SeaTac Airport in 1971 that read, Will the last person leaving Seattle turn the lights out? The consortium building Concord progressed, not without problems, but with a realistic chance of success, whilst in the Soviet Union, things were far from pretty. It was 1961 that Khrushchev first heard about the Anglo-French supersonic aircraft. He told Andrei Tupolev that they could not let the West get ahead in this technology and gave him the unenviable task of creating a supersonic passenger aircraft in less time. The Soviets realised that they were some two to three years behind in the race, and there was only one way to reduce that kind of lead, to cheat. Now, here is a controversial part of this story. It was the spring of 1963, and the USSR spy network, Directorate T to be precise, was instructed to find out about the airframe and engines of Concord. Information was recorded on microfilm and placed in towel dispensers, bins, cigar tins and toothpaste tubes in order to smuggle the valuable secrets back to the Soviet Union. In the early 1960s, Sergei Pavlov was the chief of the Paris office for Aeroflot, the Soviet airline, and was one of the main sources. His job brought him into contact with all kinds of aviation people across France, and that was a good thing, because he was a spy. It wasn't until 1964 before it was realised that the Soviets had penetrated the Concorde programme. Everything had been examined by the Soviets, even down to tyre scrapings from the runway 
At last, however, French military intelligence caught up, and on February the 1st, 1965, Pavlov was captured and deported, but not before the French used the unsuspecting spy to confuse the Russians. They fed him false intelligence, including the marvellous rubber compound used for Concorde's tyres. They gave him the formula for a substance something like bubblegum. That wasn't the last of it, however, as he was followed by a spy codenamed Ace. This agent was an aeronautical engineer recruited in 1967 and named Fabu. In the drive to gather Concord intelligence, he was Moscow's most powerful weapon. For 15 years, Sergei Fabiu remained undetected, working with a network of communist sympathizers and paid informants. He supplied the Soviets with thousands of technical documents. Ace handed over more than 90,000 pages of detailed technical specifications on new aircraft, including Concorde, the Super VC-10 and the Lockheed L-1011. The agent was just one of more than a dozen spies operating within Europe and passing commercial and technical secrets to the Russians at the height of the Cold War. One thing was for sure, the Charger or more correctly, the Tupolev Tu-144, was strikingly similar to Concorde. However, it's one thing to have a set of plans, it's another to use an existing manufacturing infrastructure to build it. What's more, Tupolev was a very skilled aircraft designer. He was up against a punishing timetable, so where possible, he used existing Soviet technology, as well as innovation, to overcome the problems he was presented with. The prototype was a full-scale demonstrator, but lacked several design features that Concorde used. Unable to exactly replicate the wing shape, the 144 couldn't get the approach speeds low enough. Tupolev needed to have the trailing edge elevons deflected downwards like flaps. This caused a nose-down pitching moment that was countered by attaching two small retractable moustache canards just behind the cockpit, which had fixed double-slotted slats and retractable double-slotted flaps. The canards gave lift to the nose to counter the downward pitch of the lowered elevons. A workmanlike solution, but not nearly as elegant as the beautifully shaped Concorde wing, which at high angle of attack generated a stable ram's horn vortex. This vortex created the low speed lift needed and gave Concorde a considerably lower approach speed. By 1968, Tupolev had caught up with the makers of Concorde, but not without some considerable compromises, particularly in the areas of braking, such that the 144 relied on a braking parachute and engine control, and they worked day and night to beat Concorde into the air. Despite the difficulties, on the 31st of December 1968, the TU-144 took off on its maiden flight, two months before its European rival. It continued to progress faster when it first went supersonic on the 5th of June 1969, and the next year it became the first commercial transport to exceed Mach 2. However, 
Despite the successful completion of these milestones, all was not well with the aircraft, which had now been dubbed Konkordski due to its similarity to its European equivalent. The engine design did not allow for supersonic crews without the use of afterburner, which reduced its range considerably. The aircraft also had extremely long engine intakes, as the designers erroneously believed that this would help prevent engine surges, a considerable problem with the early versions. There was doubt concerning its low-speed handling characteristics, and it had a very poor serviceability record. Regardless, the second production aircraft was programmed to display alongside Concorde at the 1973 Paris Air Show. The Paris Show was, and remains, one of the most prestigious events for aircraft manufacturers, so it was a matter of enormous pride that the Soviets show their aircraft and display to the world their technical prowess. This aircraft had been considerably modified when compared with the first prototype. It now had engine nacelles split on either side of the fuselage and the retracting canards. There had been fierce competition between the Concorde and the Tu-144, and the Soviet pilot, Mikhail Kozlov, had bragged that he would outperform the Concorde. Just wait till you see us fly, he was quoted as saying. Then you'll see something. On the final day of the show, Concorde flew what some described as a less than inspiring demonstration, and it was believed that Kozlov was determined to prove how much better his aircraft was. In front of a crowd numbering a quarter of a million, amongst which were luminaries from all parts of the world of aviation, including Alexei Tupolev himself. On board was a crew of six, which included the deputy chief designer and an engineer major general. Whilst on the runway, Koslov had been informed that his display time had been cut in half, and perhaps this change had some bearing on what happened next. Deafened by the thunderous roar of four reheated NK-144 turbofans, the sleek airliner leapt airborne. Kozlov brought the aircraft round for a pass with the gear down and canards extended, and then with the engines at full power, pitched up into a steep climb. At around 2,000 feet, the Tu-144 pitched and rolled rapidly into a steep dive. The airframe broke up in mid-air, the left wing separating first, and then the rest of the aircraft disintegrated and crashed into an area of housing, destroying 15 of them. All on board died, plus eight more on the ground, including three children. Sixty received severe injuries. In the aftermath of the crash, theories abounded as to the cause. Since the aircraft was a prototype, the investigation was conducted by the French military. The accident data recorder was apparently destroyed in the crash, so a great deal was left up to supposition. Over the years, a number of possible causes have become popular. 
Unbeknown to the Soviet crew, a French military Mirage fighter was flying in the vicinity of the display aircraft, apparently trying to photograph the new moustache canards in flight. It's possible that, surprised by its presence, Kozlov manoeuvred to avoid it and overstressed or stalled the Tuplov. However, it may have been that the abrupt manoeuvre was merely an attempt to impress the crowd. Some thought that a camera given to the co-pilot to record the display might have been dropped and subsequently jammed the controls, preventing Kozlov from pulling out of the dive. It has also been revealed that the TU-144 was equipped with experimental flight control equipment that was supposed to be disabled and covered for the flight, However, in the wreckage, this equipment was neither disabled nor covered, leading some to believe that it was being used improperly to improve the manoeuvrability of the aircraft for the benefit of the display. Whatever the reason, the appalling disaster, in full view of the world's press, was a devastating blow to the future of the aircraft, and it marked the beginning of the end for Konkordsky. The S version went into service in December 1975, flying mail and freight between Moscow and Almaty, and a passenger service commenced late in 1977. The early flights showed up the TU-144's appalling serviceability. During 102 flights, lasting 181 hours, the TU-144S suffered more than 226 failures, 80 of them in flight. 80 of the snags were serious enough to cancel or delay the flight. It became common to blame non-existent poor weather for the flight cancellations. Failures included a cabin decompression and an engine exhaust duct overheat, and eventually it became a requirement for Alexei Tupolev and the two Soviet vice ministers of aviation to be personally present at Moscow airport before every departure to review the aircraft's condition and release it for flight. On one particular flight, Captain Alexandra Larin recalled problems with 22 of the 24 major systems on board. Eight systems failed before takeoff, but since there were a large number of foreign journalists on board, it was decided to risk flying rather than face the embarrassment of cancellation. The problems continued to multiply, and en route, the Tupolev Bureau's crisis centre informed them that they would have to land on the right undercarriage leg alone. The Soviet leader Brezhnev himself was informed, since there was expected to be significant political fallout. With the accumulation of failures, an alarmingly loud siren went off after takeoff that couldn't be silenced. Finally, out of frustration, a passenger's pillow was stuffed into the horn to soften the blaring noise. In the end, the flight passed off safely when the gear was successfully lowered. Other problems for the passengers came from the very high noise levels in the cabin caused by the engines and air conditioning. It was so loud that passengers could only talk to their immediate neighbour with difficulty, and those two seats apart couldn't communicate at all, even when screaming at each other. 
Only 14 production aircraft were ever built, 9 S models and 5 D models. With the Soviet officials fearful of a major crash, it flew only enough to claim that it was filling a regular schedule. In the end, only 55 passenger flights were performed, carrying an average of 58 passengers per flight. Then a brand new TU-144D suffered an in-flight failure that led to a crash landing, killing two of the crew. And after that, the pride of the Soviet's fleet was only used as a very fast, enormously expensive freighter. In total, 102 flights were performed, but soon major cracks were discovered in the airframes of the prototypes, which led to the end of commercial flights. The last scheduled service was made on the 1st of June 1978, and whilst the Concorde continued to operate safely and consistently for years, its namesake slipped quietly out of sight the world's only other supersonic airliner, was gone. In the end, it was almost certainly the rush design and production of the TU-144 that led to its demise. The aircraft's development was strongly driven by the ideological and politically motivated haste to beat Concorde into the air, as if the race were more important than the overall success of the aircraft. When Concorde carried its first passenger, it was the most tested aircraft ever produced, having flown some 5,000 hours. The total testing time of the 144 was less than 800. Another outstanding Plane Tales installment by the wonderful Captain Nick Anderson. Thank you, sir. Oh, we've got the and air conditioning he, on. Oh, yeah, and I think air. he wanted to... Um, hey, Jeff. Yeah. Um, he wanted to thank uh, Pilot Pip for suggesting that topic. Staff, I told so. you we're never supposed to mention that guy's name on the oh, show. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I forgot. No, he did. He said, <laughs> make sure you let everybody know that Pilot Pip uh, suggested that he talk about that airplane. And also the fact that he was, uh, Pip was not the only one that has requested a plane tales uh, regarding that, uh, that airplane. But Pip was the last one, I think. Great job. I believe so. Captain Nick. Unbelievable. Another As great, always. Another, another great plane tales. Probably one of the best I've heard oh. <laughs> in the last half hour. <laughs> <laughs> People in the chat room are going, oh, yeah? What was it about, Jeff? <laughs> we glad. saw what you guys were doing. I was listening to some of it. I'm glad there wasn't a quiz. <laughs> I, I, I now have something to listen to on episode 299. That's right. Makes two of And by the way, I always listen to these before the show, so I know what it's about. Well, okay, most of the time I listen to <laughs> to be truthful. Okay, anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we talked about Frick Stefan. Stefan uh, writes in, and uh, you want to take that one, Michael? Yeah. Which one? The uh, the one about crashing a seven twenty seven for science. Oh, absolutely. Um, He's clicking feverishly it, it, over there it, on his it's iPad. It's loading. Um. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is a mess. We're probably not going to release the show, actually. So if you're <laughs> watching this live. We did an attempt at two ninety nine before three hundred, but we'll just we'll just yeah. pretend that we did a two ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is from uh, Stefan. He, he says, uh, thanks for a great podcast. Here's an interesting documentary about crashing at 727 from science. And this is back from uh, 2012, where uh, the Discovery Channel basically took a 727 and removed the center floorboards and added a basically a remote um <laughs> autopilot into the control cables because 727 is also a fly-by-wire aircraft is just made of steel um opposed to copper and uh they had a helicopter chase this airplane and they literally they crashed it um pretty much at a level attitude into the desert and filmed it to see what it would look like and they had some test dummies uh strewn throughout the cabin and uh, jeff survived oh <laughs> Um, I flew the airplane, Jeff, but I wasn't a passenger on this particular flight. Thank you very much. Um, they had uh, they had some uh, they had some test dummies in there to see. You know, they're trying to answer the question: Where's the safest part on the airplane? Well, that all always depends on the attitude you crash at. But um, but anything, um, it, it's basically a good documentary to go through and uh, and watch. Uh, he says in here the crash is exactly uh, pretty much right about forty six minutes in the fifty second mark is where the where the crash is. But um, the whole hour of the documentary, from what I remember, is uh, acquiring the airplane, um, looking at the paint job. I think it's a, a former Champion Airlines aircraft. Uh, which was a Minneapolis-based charter company, and they uh, they took the airplane and how they had it set up and all their their stuff, and they had some guy in a helicopter chasing the airplane, crash the airplane in the desert, so they could film it, and they had cameras on the inside. So overall, it's a uh, it's a great uh, documentary to go ahead and uh, watch if you have an hour to kill. And if you uh, are a seven twenty seven lover as I am, it's very very difficult to watch them crash a perfectly good airplane. Almost like jumping out of one. Yes, almost. You have to be crazy to do that. I would argue that's not the same thing. (laughs) Fair enough. I've done it. Have you? Yeah. Crash an airplane? No. (laughs) Oh, close. That's a normal landing for Dan. (laughs) (laughs) That's every flight. Wow. Wow. What a rough crowd. It is. Wow. All right, moving on. Jay uh, says, uh, hey, Captain Jeff, this email has been a long time, the pipeline for me. I've been listening to your great podcast for about seven months now, and the only reason I haven't left feedback before now is that I really, really wanted to get through as many episodes as I possibly could, diligently starting at episode one and unwaveringly listening Let me try that again. Unwaveringly listening until now. I'm on episode 102 as it stands. However, I've now decided the time has come to leave feedback for the first time, and this is an important time for me. I'll explain why shortly. Despite my initial wish to listen in purely chronological order, I've decided to compromise and download to the current episode whilst moving through the back catalog on the days, weeks when you haven't released a new one yet. A little about me, I'm 31 years old and have just made the decision to start down the road to obtaining my ATPL. Despite being fascinated with aviation and airlines for years, I have thus far procrastinated and delayed making a decision an investment on whether 
or not to pursue my passion. I'm originally from the UK, but I now live in Australia, having moved out here to start my flight training. My plan is to work on my licenses and ratings full time, although I'm not technically in an ab initio program. Part of the reason that I wanted to write to you is that in doing my research for the various paths to the cockpit, I realized there are a huge range of options for aspiring pilots. And some are much better than others. When looking globally at different licenses, authorities, training organizations, governing bodies, etc., it struck me that I couldn't find a resource that would allow me to compare different countries around the world, associated costs, and the pros and cons of flight training in those respective locations. Just a couple of examples. In the U.S., you have a relatively cheap flight training, but the hour requirements and the degree recommendation for the majors make it less a less attractive option for international students. In the U.K., you can go straight into a jet-ready frozen ATPL program ab initio with no college degree required, but most programs are approximately double the cost in the U.S., uh, or of the uh, U.S. In South Africa, you can get one of the lowest cost IKO ATPLs in often perfect flying weather, but may struggle to gain employment back in the EU or U.S. afterwards. Believe me, it took a lot of time and reading to get to my to get my head around all of this. If any of your other listeners have similar questions or experiences, I'd be really happy to share what I've found out so far in terms of the global training options. In terms of your podcast, I just wanted to say it's my absolute favorite, and it's such a great resource for those of us who aspire to be in your position. You don't skimp on the details of pilot life, and I'm sure I can speak for many others when I say hearing about your job and the ups and occasional downs of a pilot's schedule is super informative and interesting. I have a whole bunch of questions, but mindful of the length of the feedback already, I shall be satisfied with simply having introduced myself and passed on my gratitude. If you're interested to hear my experience of current day flight training in a foreign country, I'll be more than happy to check in and let you know how it's going. Warm, warm regards, clear skies and tailwinds, Jay from Sydney, Australia. Wow, Jay, thank you for taking the time to... Uh, to uh, pen that uh, very, very uh, informative piece of feedback. And uh, yeah, please do keep us apprised as to what you are doing, what journey, what path you've taken. And uh, because there are a lot of people listening to this show who want to do the job that we're doing and they want to know what the best option is. And, you know, the fact that you've done the research in the different countries and the, 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 the pros and cons regarding all those different plans, I, I think that uh, many of the people listening to this show would really benefit from the research you've done and the decision you've made. And I'm not totally clear from what you've said in this email, you know, what you're, what you're actually uh, doing as far as, uh, except that it sounds like you're still in Australia and you're kind of going with that, um, with that uh, journey that route. But, um, well, I will say, I, I think that's probably our number one piece of uh, feedback in terms of asking for advice yeah. is, Hey, I'm, so-and-so years old, I am either just getting started at a very young age or somewhere much older than that. And I'm wondering what your advice for me is. So we're always looking for feedback from people who have been there and done that and um, different perspectives. So definitely keep in touch and let us know how things are going. Right. I mean, my only response to that is, I mean, he, he has uh, looked at all the uh, different options throughout the world you have to really pin down where you want to want to fly and where you want to work. And that will help to, to, um, 
isolate where, where you're going to go ahead and, and do your training in or build your experience. It'll make a huge difference in, in, in where you uh, end up uh, flying because uh, if you want to fly in the States, then, you know, come here to the States, you know, do your training and build your time. And then, uh, you know, come through the, the regional ranks. Of, well, you wouldn't be able to come through the military ranks here in the States. But regional ranks, uh, you know, the opportunities are, are there. But if you want to fly in Australia, you know, do your training there and, and uh, complete it there and, and work your way up. Just, you know, same people, you know, same thing for people over in Europe. They tend to build their experience there. I actually saw uh, an ad for uh, British Airways. Uh, uh, regional that's looking to hire captains off the street and they're having an open house this coming week in in the midlands so you know there there are there are worldwide opportunities they're they're continuing to grow so just uh, look at where you want to fly and and figure out uh, based on that where you're going to continue your training and complete your training and build your experience and uh from like like the whole flying aspect just all in general aviation flying i think the more i the more I learned through the podcast and the airline pilot guy community, the United States has got just a great general aviation community. And we have a very open and free seat uh, and cheap freedom to go flying so much so that there are airlines from China that are sending their, their new hire cadets to the United States to get their privates and uh-huh. initial training and then multi-engines in a very quick fo- fashion to then get shipped back to China to go fly A320s, you know, and then worldwide, you know, I've, I've looked at Ryanair and all that, you know, working midnights at, at work, I, I tend to surf the internet when my fleet's asleep, you know, when you, when you look at countries- Don't admit that publicly. Well- but it works for Acme, and it's okay. Okay, yeah. get Acme. Yeah, I mean, you, you <laughs> <laughs> when he's asleep too, <laughs> hey, hey. they're all asleep up there. Yeah, I can tell I'm, you, I'm, I'm not asleep. They I'm don't just, answer I've, the phone. I've actually witnessed it, so I can. I'm the only person in the room that's actually witnessed what happens after midnight. <laughs> um, other than Mike, you know, it's one of those things where you, I, you, for me as a U.S. citizen, I can't just go apply to Ryanair to be a first officer on a seven three seven and just get flown the crud out of me. Because I don't have a right to work in Ireland. I mean, th- that's what really comes down to is where is your right to work come to when you're trying to apply internationally? Do you have the right to try to apply for a job? And what that's doing by the countries is trying to um, preserve the jobs for their own citizens, opposed to trying to outsource all the jobs to other people flooding into the country. So, I mean, those are all things that you have to look at. I'm going to take Captain Nick, for example. I mean, he's a, he's from Australia, isn't he? Is he not? He's dual citizenship. Yeah. Dual citizenship, but yeah, I mean, he, he flew down in Australia, and he's also a British British aviator. So, it's uh, you have to look at that. You're absolutely correct. Go ahead, Gary. But, uh, you know, the three guys with gray hair in here, and uh, we, we've both, all three of us went through the military route. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking at you, Jeff. <laughs> And it was and a lot easier one. back in, in our day to, you know, oh, to get. Minute, I have gray hair. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hair. not that far behind you guys. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's five there's of us with gray hair in here. Yeah. Shoot. But it was a lot easier for us. Uh, I, you know, I, I joined the military during the Reagan buildup and uh, you couldn't swing a dead cat without, uh, you know, finding another aviator. And if you had the tenacity to keep going, they would train you. And that was part of the time back there. And also the civilian route, we had flying checks. We had uh, pipeline patrol. Things are done by drones now. We don't fly checks anymore. So the, uh, the analogy is the, kind of the bridge has been blown up for these guys from the initial training to how do I get 
5,000 hours. Well, when you get 5,000 hours, you have a job, but how are you going to get 5,000 yeah. hours? I have no idea. That's the tough nut. And that's crack. the hard, and if you can figure that one out, that's the $64,000 question. Yeah, but I will say the last show that we talked about the fact that there are a couple of proposals now going uh, before Congress yep. to try to do, because, you know, the, the airlines are going, you know, help. Uh-huh. Uh, we can't get anybody to fly their airplanes. We're having to cancel flights. Yeah, and it's just not Ryanair. <laughs> no, no, it's, no uh, and, and it's not. And, and you guys mentioned in the last show, I listened on the way up here, it, you're going to start seeing the absolute shortage of pilots at the lowest level. And we're already seeing it now at the CFI level. It's hard to find a CFI. Yeah, well, there's one. I, I know Dana's right here. But <laughs> I'm right here. Well, I know Dana. Get my BFR done. Woo-hoo. Absolutely. No problem. We'll, we'll take care of it. You need to up your rates now. Yeah. I, I mean, but like, honestly. From higher than free? Yes. Okay. okay. I mean, but I honestly am thinking about going to get my CFI, get it done, and just starting that just to be a CFI. I mean, I'm I'm so far into the industry now, I can't jump to the airlines to be be an airline pilot. Yes, you can. Not with three little kids. Yes, you can. Well, I can, but my wife might say something different. <laughs> I had two when I started with the airlines. Two little kids. Two hours? No. Two oh. kids. Well, I had no hours of commercial How old time. Thirty four. Oh my God. That's really? All. We'll talk at off he's, air. Okay. Yeah, he's, <laughs> really? he's the baby of the crowd here. Uh, no yeah. kidding. I don't know about Yeah. We yeah, we, we really need to talk. I'm, I'm not the baby by much, Steph. Like a year. There we go. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in all there's worldviews in the political things you have to look at and the, you know it's where you have the right to work with this feedback yeah the whole ryanair thing is crazy with the way they've set up their pilot contracts oh and goodness. everything else uh, um, nick Them and nai nai it's the same way yeah yeah, yeah. same way it's, nick it's, nick uh you know tweeted a uh, uh, uh uh, an article uh, link uh, earlier today, a couple of them talking about how the whole thing is set up and you basically are an independent contractor and oh. it's like, what? Well, there's, that's no, crazy. there's another one that's uh, that's a jet and rhymes the color blue. Uh-huh. That's that's and, how they started yeah, here in the that's state. That's how they started here. And, yeah, but at NAI. least I have to I have to clarify that because anybody that's listening to the show may not know what NAI is, Norwegian Air International. Uh, they're another one that's using offshore um, contract pilot hiring that's uh, not not completely and totally uh, legitimate, and that's part of the reason why we're well. And one of the reasons we're, that we're fighting that you look at. Why the airline unions in the United States are fighting NAI so frantically is uh, you look at the United States Merchant Marine Fleet. Yep. It's diminished a hundredfold because you have all these foreign flag carriers and it's the same kind of setup as NAI and Ryanair. They're individual contracts and you know they, they can pay them dirt cheap and just undercut us completely. So the U.S. Merchant and everything's, you know, all the ships are registered in you know, weird places like Liberia. Like they can afford a merchant marine fleet, and like you know, going back to the Ryanair thing, you know, they're worried about company loyalty and stuff in their pilots jumping ship. Their pilots have had to pay for everything. There's been no gift for to earn the loyalty. I mean, their pilots have literally had to pay for everything out of their own pockets to get the opportunity to fly a seven three seven. But there's been no gift of. There's nothing from the company back to the pilot on their own. But but uh, the CEO, Michael O'Leary, talked about goodies that he's been giving the pilots. Yeah. 
peanuts. Yeah, maybe peanuts and peanuts and pretzels. A, a seat, a, a priceless seat with a view out the front. There you go. I mean, it, it just comes back to one basic fact, and that is that the flying public um, ex- has an expectation. That expectation is when they get on an aircraft, they get on the aircraft and they expect to get to the destination safely. We, as professional airline and aviators, what we do every day is make it seem seamless. However, what people don't realize, and even management to a certain extent don't realize, is how we, as professional aviators, work diligently to make sure that every flight is safe, all the details are taken care of, and it's almost to our own detriment because we do it so well that it's not respected as much as it should be no it's it's a two-edged sword we try to make it seem like a to kind of alleviate people's anxiety that is oh there's this no big deal this easy to do and everything else but on this on the other hand we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because what we do even though it kind of seems easy to us because we've been doing it for so long it's not easy to do it's just like a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon performing those procedures those operations it's easy for them because they've been doing it over and over and over again in their lives they've been trained to do it but uh you know if you and i went in there and tried to do brain surgery or heart surgery uh, it wouldn't go very well stick a needle in somebody's back uh, like exactly like i'll does. just I mean, say this much i don't think there are as many airline passengers going on google or wikipedia or whatever the airline equivalent of webmd is and Coming in to tell you guys in the cockpit how to fly the aircraft as what happens. Oh, I know, no, no, no. You, yeah, you get the yeah. passenger who comes up front. You, you, you must you, have been in the Navy with that landing, and I'm, I'm yeah, thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. you have no idea what a no Navy idea. landing's like, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and for the four guys in front of me who are airline pilots, and the one back here behind me, he's hiding over there. Yeah, yeah, he's hiding. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the smart one. You, you guys, he's a newbie. You guys don't get paid for routine. You guys get paid right. for your six month or nine month, whatever your airline's check is, to go in the box and get try to get killed, mm-hmm. and that's that's what you guys get paid for. And uh, and, and when uh, it happens for real, exactly. Yes. exactly. And, and when yeah. it happens for real, you you guys get paid for the engine outs. You guys get paid for the V one cuts. You guys get paid for the multiple multiple system failures and the knowledge of your aircraft. I mean, routine is good. Boring is good yes. in the airline industry. Well, and, boring and, and is wonderful. Here, here's the deal. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between the medical field and the and the professional aviation field, and, and being an airline pilot. And that is that you know there's an ex, there's an ex, expected uh, outcome. When a doctor says you know you have a ten percent chance of this outcome happening, you go into that surgery and you say, okay, you know I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think I have ninety percent chance of having success. And doctors in a, in, a, in a set environment with a set circumstance, you know, the, the weather's not changing, got a whole support staff around them, and, and they're, they're responsible for that one life on the table at that one time. Whereas an airline pilot, you have a completely different circumstance with the same, same expected outcome. And that is that when you get on the airplane, you expect to get to your point, point B in one piece 
without any problems, but there's weather changing. You have a support crew on the outside, but when it comes push comes to shove in, in uh, Jeff Skiles, which I always use his name first, and Captain uh, Sully, it, it uses a perfect example. They made the best of a bad situation. That's what we do every day with an expected outcome, but the difference is, is when a doctor is working on one patient, they're working on one patient at one time. When a doc, when we're flying an airplane, we have 160 or 180, 190 lives in our hands, and every decision we make, just like when you have somebody on the operating table, is 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 life or death, and and we we take that for granted because most of the time we have hours and hours and hours of boredom punctuated by a few moments of pure terror. Yeah. So and that's and that's that's a re- that's a reality. So what we're trained to do, and and what Mike alluded to, is that when we go into training, we kind of sit back. We evaluate what's going on. We make a decision, the best decision we can possibly make with the current situation presented to us. And what we do is we go forward with it. So, you know, people people spend hours and hours and hours as pilots doing nothing. And, you know, as far as, you know, people, you know, if you could see what goes on behind the cockpit door, people think we don't do anything. We have the autopilot on, and we just sit there brain dead. No, we're always listening to the radio. We're always looking at the engine instruments. We're always checking you know, our altitudes. We're all, there's a lot of things that we do that we make look easy, and people think that we don't work very hard, but yet we are always working. We are always on. When I, you know, we talked about earlier, when I was flying with the guy I was flying with, listen, I was listening to him. I was listening to air traffic control. I was watching the engine instruments. I was doing all my reports. It becomes very fatiguing. And we as airline, professional airline pilots, we have everybody's lives in our hands and we take that very seriously. And what we do is we make it look easy. And that's our own detriment, I think. I compare it, you know, uh, my brother-in-law does home improvements and it's the same kind of story. I watch what he does and I am so impressed. I mean, I can't do anything like that. And he makes it look so easy, you know, but I know he's dealing with issues every time he, you know, opens up a wall and goes, well, this isn't wired right. Or, you know, where did that stud come from? What's this thing doing here? How did they, uh, what did this guy do? And uh, so it's the same in every career field. It's like, we're no different than any other profession. We're good at what we do because we have been trained to do so. Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a, a policeman, a soldier, it doesn't matter. You are trained to do to a that. certain thing. I take offense to that. Lawyer. <laughs> well, I'll say. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Okay. Uh, All right. This next, is uh, next the, subject. The, the, the hate mail goes to Dana <laughs> Colton at gmail.com. <laughs> Junk at airline by the guy. Yes. <laughs> 301 at airline pilot guy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. The thing I liked about it is he did his homework on where he was going to do his flight training. And, you know, it is exp- it is not as expensive in the States, but it's. A lot of time, a yeah. lot of yeah. time. So it ends Absolutely. up being more expensive. Yeah, but I think he's made the right choice. He's he's done his homework, and it, yeah. it'll be great to hear more feedback from him. Yes, to to spread the word. Yeah, and if you can use the time you build in the states for the the economical factor, and then use that time to transition it to your back to your country, mm-hmm. that, that would be great too. Absolutely, excellent way to bring it all the way around, Jeff. We got out there. Yes, you're a professional. All right. I'm, I'm saving my watch. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we have some audio feedback from Pi. And let me read what he said to me uh, before I actually play his feedback. He says, here's a link. Excuse me. The beer is trying to get out of my system here. What? Yes. Here is a link for an audio feedback to download that you may or may not like to include on your show. I apologize. It's a bit long. But then again, so is your show. So I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Wait a minute. I I didn't get to the best part. He goes, it's a bit long. Then again, so is your show. So I guess we're even. (laughs) Take it away, Pi. Touche. Touche. Hello, you plain people out there in podcast land. I'm Pai from Finland, and I have actually done podcasting myself for the past 12 years. Ironically, I'm really fascinated by aviation and everything to do with flying planes, especially airlines, but I, I actually hate flying. I really, really, really don't fly don't go on trips because planes uh, are very uncomfortable way to travel. I like I like to travel on tra- trains. I like to fly planes on a simulator where things are nice and settled, and I don't have to queue anywhere, or and I don't need a passport or anything like that. Um, actually, I, I'm not sure if I'd like flying if I were to fly the plane myself. Uh, I've, I've wondered about that, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think flying is an option for me for an interesting reason. Uh, I'm actually a transgender individual, and there's a lot of issues around that. Uh, unfortunately, the medical establishment is, for some reason, is very, very... Uh, very unsure about how to treat gen- gender non-conforming people. So I'm not sure if I'd get the medical. And even if I did, uh, Finland is a very, very uh, progressive place. And uh, I I meet relatively little discrimination on a day-to-day basis. But what the places around me aren't quite that so if i were to enter uh, airline flying i'd probably have to fly to places like i don't know russia where they've actually banned transgender people from from driving cars because they don't like transgender people very much uh so i don't know how they'd react to to a transgender person landing uh, an Embraer or an Airbus in there and, and being like, hey, I can't drive your cars, but um, do, you, do, do you mind if I park this massive airplane right here? Yeah, thanks. I might get some problems in immigration. Ironically, one of the places where I don't think I could travel is the United States uh, because there's been quite a lot of issues with people with, uh, let's say, non-traditional biology or body parts. And and that's been, that's something that I, I, I just, 
really don't want to try. And not to mention flying to great Eastern and Western hubs like Dubai or Doha or places like that. I, I just, yeah, knew uh, they, they really don't like, wouldn't like me there. Uh, so I'm, I'm living vicariously through your podcast and uh, I'm really enjoying the amount of minutia I get from your show. Um, a bit rambly, this, but uh, I was wondering, Captain Nick, um, you fly the wide-body Airbuses, and we've talked about the kind of planes that the other folks uh, in your panel have flown before in the airline world. Uh, but has Captain Nick always flown the wide-body Airbuses in the civilian world, obviously? Or is there some other airliners in your past that would be very interesting to hear? And yes, I do prefer the Airbuses. I was thinking, uh, since there's, if it ain't Boeing, I ain't going, maybe there should be something similar for Airbus, like uh, if it ain't a bus, I'm gonna make a fuss. I don't know. Maybe I leave this to Captain Nick. Yes. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Pi. That was really interesting feedback. And um, I think I can answer for Captain Nick. Um, no, he has not ever flown any other piece of, well, any type of equipment. <laughs> um, I had to watch my language. Um, uh, so, <laughs> other than the Airbus line of uh, airliners. Air, airliners. Thank you. And only 330s and, and, and 340s. Yeah, yep. 330s and 340s. Right. So a very limited exposure. To oh, that's not another bad word to use. I'm sorry. Uh, what was that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody vibrating. Yeah, maybe sorry. it's my. It's, I don't know, but uh, I love it. It was cool. Me. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, he actually he's shared this with us in the past. His father flew the 747, and he really wanted to fly the 747 when he got hired by Acme Red, but uh, they didn't have a spot for him to do that, and they did have a spot for the uh, A330 and A340 series. And uh, so that's that's what he flies and he loves. Um, but uh, no, that's it. That's all he's flown stupid is the is uh, a stupid does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, what do you say? Uh, if it ain't Boeing, it ain't, it ain't going. Boeing. And then he said uh, he wants to come up with something for Airbus. If it ain't Airbus, then make a fuss. Is that what he said? Oh, stuff. Yeah. I, it kind of cut out for me. So oh. I, was, oh. I was I was looking forward to it. I was like, ooh, maybe he's got a good, a good. Yeah, it's not as good as. Or, yeah. yeah. No. You got to work on that. No. Yeah. It's a scare bus. But, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> you want to Yeah, everybody here. Uh, I, it's, it's kind of unanimous here in this room. It's uh, <laughs> Boeing all the way. <laughs> no. Well, no, no, no. Donald, am I muted? Am I muted? No. no. Okay. No, but I'll mute you if you like. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 sorry. Okay. No, if it's not McDonald Douglas, it's a, all I have to say because it's truly fly by wire. It is. Three eighths inch stainless steel. 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 Yeah. steel. Yeah. Yeah. So is my Beechcraft. Yeah. And my Cessnas that I've Cessnas. flown. Yeah. If anybody Hyper. hits an EMP, guess what? The only airplane left to fly in the sky? Mad Dog. MD-88. And uh, AFR, yeah. and all the uh, general aviation airplanes out there, right? A few of them. Yeah. 
Hey, the last yep. Airbus plane will be flown out of the desert by an MD-88 crew. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we said about the DC-9, too, but... Uh, well, basically, what we're flying too. is... We're flying a DC-9. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, my tech yeah. rating says anyways, yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. You have a tech rating? <laughs> I, I paid for it. Uh, <laughs> sure. Hey, do you guys have a uh, 88 or MD-90 type rating? Nope. No, DC-9. I don't either. DC-9. Yeah. Yeah. DC-9. Yeah. DC-9. Okay, never flown a DC nine, but I have a DC nine type rating. You've flown a DC nine eighty eight. I fly it every day, don't I? <laughs> uh, let's see, Captain Troy. This is this is interesting stuff. Uh, my name is Captain Troy. I fly the Q four hundred for a Canadian operator. I'm currently deadheading to Toronto for my biannual company sponsored trip to the Hydraulic Intimidator. I really hope the company has got it fixed this time, since on my last sim session this summer, just about every system failed or caught fire at some point. I have confidence our maintenance department has all the snags resolved by now. Sounds like a sim session. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> what he's described. <laughs> I've been enjoying the podcast, the first I've ever subscribed to. Thank you. Uh, the first episode I heard was the Solar Eclipse episode, and I've been hooked ever since. I listen to each episode when it's released, and in my spare time, I've gone all the way to the first episode and started to catch up. Wait, Ooh. you have spare time yes, after, after say, listening I'm, to wow. one? I'm Wait, amazing. That. What is that when you uh, go back to the first episode? Something called? about syndromes. Some, some <laughs> kind of syndromes, yes. Give me the news, I got a APG syndrome. There's no cure, Captain Troy. I'm so sorry. Yeah, sorry. APG syndrome. All right. Uh, let's see. Let me see if I can find where I left off here. Um, I think I'm about uh, episode 17. No spoilers, please. <laughs> <laughs> Not wow. a chance. Well, wow. spoilers. I mean, we, we usually use those that help slow yes. the airplane. <laughs> I have a question for the crew and any listeners. I've been wearing prescription glasses for the past few years, and it's time to get a new pair. I generally look for a pair with the thinnest possible armband as I get headset headaches from thick banded glasses years ago i came across a pair of maui gems that i fell in love with but unfortunately they only make polarized lenses i've just accepted that i couldn't have them and have had to settle for other glasses ever since after putting a rant on social media about how disappointed i am that every time i find a pair of glasses i like i find out that they only come in polarized lenses i was contacted by several co-workers who have told me they've been wearing polarized lenses for years i was under the impression they weren't allowed i look online and although they are not recommended i see no regulation banning their use my co-workers told me they haven't had any issues in the q400 with polarized lenses lenses they report that sometimes you have to change the orientation of our ipad efb from portrait to landscape or vice versa and the first officer's arcdu radio can be hard to see but thankfully i have my own Many years ago, I tried a friend's pair of sunglasses that were polarized, and the cockpit windshield had a very bad distortion, looking uh -huh. like someone poured gasoline all, all over the windshield. Uh, let's see. Yeah, not uh, right. No, that's not board good. I know I could not fly like that. Some of the electronic instruments we also were not readable due to the polarization. My question is, has anyone ever else used polarized glasses without issues? No. 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 Nope. No. None of us. Yes. I'm, yes. You have well, one GA pair in particular. What? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But she's flying GA. GA. Yeah. Not not the modern technology, but if you go back to the uh, old technology that's available. No, I've had so I have always had problems with 
I know we haven't finished his reading his feedback here, but I've always had problems with Maui Jim's sunglasses with their polarized lenses. But the more recently, I did buy one pair of um, Ray-Ban polarized lenses, and I had zero problem with them. Wherein, whereas with the same pair of or flying in the same aircraft with Maui Jim's, I would have had a problem with some of the. that's called Screens, false advertising. The, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Every time I've I've used polarized but, lenses, yeah. it's like, oh crap! I mean, you yeah. know, you, it's terrible. They're the only ones I've never had a problem with. Oh. No, I will. I, I will tell how polarized I will, they really are, but um, they they were okay. I could actually use them. So. I will tell you that, uh, and, and I'm not advertising for any particular manufacturer, but Ray-Ban, right. as far as the optics go, with their non-polarized, uh, mm-hmm. fantastic for the uh, aviator i have had absolutely no no issues of course a lot of guys wear serengetis um but polarized yeah i've, I've tried polarized i i wear nothing but polarized lenses when i'm i'm riding my motorcycle when i'm on the uh, you know riding driving my car around when i'm on the lake etc etc i love polarized lenses but in the cockpit they just don't work okay these are my favorite sunglasses Oh, Mike, I can't Sorry. see you, but what are you doing? Oh, they're aviators. Mine. They're aviators. Ah, Ray-Bans? Ray-Bans. Yeah. And they're not with a fade With a fade lens. Yeah, they're kind of bluish, but yeah. I agree with Dana. These are perfect for the opti- everything I need the for opti- I mean, I got to tell you what. I mean, as far as uh, any any sunglass out there, Luxottica. Am I not close enough? There we go. I'm sorry. I'm trying to share my microphone this evening. So uh, I'm into sharing. Mm, uh. So anyways, uh, you know, as far as optics go. Um, share this with you. I, 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 yeah. Well, I, get, I get something I can share. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. It's in my hand. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> He's talking about his wine. Uh, no, yeah, huh. yeah. Eagle Rare, actually. That's not wine, Jeff. That's oh. bourbon. That's bourbon. <laughs> it's Eagle Rare. It's Eagle Rare. Yeah. Come on in. So seriously, uh, you know, when it comes to optics, I've I've flown with. Why did you mute me? <laughs> no, I'm not muting it. Just now that you're so close, I have to bring it down because right. you're over modulating. Off. Okay. Okay. So, anyways, uh, I'm not promoting any particular Rabian line, but I have to say that their glass that they make is 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 fantastic when it comes to aviation. Um, Serengeti is another one. But uh, I have been flying with Ray-Bans for a lot of years, and 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 I find them as effective as uh, polarized lenses without them being polarized. So it's That's protecting good, my yeah. eyes. And I don't know. <laughs> Look around, Gary. Do you wear sunglasses? Do you wear glasses? Contacts. I used to wear. Okay, so I'm the only guy in the room that doesn't wear any corrective lenses for for flying. Well, he's about. 17. <laughs> no, he's not that young. <laughs> he doesn't shave yet. But so I'm, I'm 47, you're 34? Something like that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's close like to that. I do not wear any type of corrective lenses yet. So I've been very careful with my eyes for a very long, a lot of years. And most of those years, I've actually worn Rabian. So. Think about the landings he'd be able to make if he did have prescription. Wow. 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 Mass probably stinks. Yeah. <laughs> there's, wow. a, there's a website you can go to that I use on, I wear prescriptions, of course, but I get non polarized sunglasses to wear prescription. 
And it's called flightsunglasses.com. It's called it from a blind man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's flight sunglasses. It's actually, this guy is a commercial pilot for Southwest and uh, he has a side business. And they're really, I mean, I have Serengeti's. He's got Ray-Bans. He's got some other uh, uh, makes on his website as well. So you can, and you can get straight sunglasses from him as well at a really good price. So I have a, a website we're going to, I'm going to talk about here in a minute and I'll explain why. I know about this uh, very shortly, but I'm going to continue with uh, Troy, Captain Troy's uh, feedback here. He says, um, I was normally a $19.99 Walmart special kind of guy. Wow, that's that's too high. Wow. And you're nearly Walmart, $19.99, $5.99. Come on. Yeah, especially if you're a pilot. That's exactly right. Because you always leave them in the cockpit. <laughs> wow. Anyway, but he said, now I, I need prescription lenses. I want to make sure I get a good pair. Well. Okay. I've longed for these extremely thin banded Maui gyms for many years, as this could be an excuse I need to treat myself. What do people look for in aviation sunglasses? We've been talking about that um, here. For years, I hated the cliche of pilots wearing aviators, and I don't particularly like the look of them. But now that I'm looking for spe specific characteristics, thin uh, arm, he's calling them an armband, but what is it called? Um, Earband, armband, same thing. It's the arm of the yeah, glasses. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. It's this right here, you know, so these are really thin and I agree a hundred percent with them. These make all the difference in the world, especially if you're, especially yeah, when you're wearing the headset oh, and the, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, um, let's see. But now that I'm looking for specific characteristics, um, thin armband wrap around protection for when the sun is at my nine o'clock or high above my brow, I may be forced to eat crow and find a tolerable pair of aviator style, non-polarized glasses. I'm hoping my polarized, uh, experiment works out, but I'm very skeptical and I think he should be. Obviously I will not go through with it if I feel it inhabits my inhibits my visibility, viability. I think he means visibility or compri uh, compromises safety in any way. I don't want to spend big bucks on prescription sunglasses if I can't wear them at work. Thanks for any feedback. Keep your eyes on the skies, hopefully behind a nice pair of sunglasses. Now, re and this is interesting because I just recently, I mean, like yesterday, got an email from someone who wants to promote their company. And this person probably somebody who is their media representative or whatever, uh, sent this piece of feedback to our show. Hi, Captain Jeff. As you know, pilots find eyewear painful while wearing a headset and often try alternative inferior methods to make sunglasses comfortable. I'm reaching out to you because I know a pilot entrepreneur who has solved a problem in the aviation community with a pair of sunglasses. Dean Syracusa founded Flying Eyes, I think uh, Jeff is having some kind of a physical uh, physical <laughs> episode over here. Are you, are you I can't feel my legs. This is what's going on. I can't feel my legs. Now, if you're listening to the audio podcast, you really can't get the full ambiance. Ambiance or flavor. We're we're sitting in a very small room with a small bed, and most of us are sitting on, on the bed, bed. <laughs> including Captain Jeff, Colonel Jeff, and uh, and his Back his leg feedback. his legs are are suffering. You okay? Yeah. I'll okay. Live. You'll live. Okay. Anyway, um, Dean Syracuse founded Flying Eyes, FlyingEyesOptics.com, and is a pilot of nearly 20 years. He flies a Myers 200 
I'm not sure what a Myers 200 is, but I think somebody told me that it's like a is it similar sing, to a mile like one? a turboprop, uh, single engine turboprop or something very high performance uh, general aviation airplane. I would like to put you in touch with him for an interview on your podcast. Well, uh, Don, who uh, sent this to me, we really don't do that's not, our podcast is not really an interview podcast, but I thought it was pretty coincidental that we received this feedback from Captain Troy wondering about a good choice for sunglasses and uh, you might want to check out dean's site flying op- eyes optics.com and they're 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 having some fun over there i don't know what they're looking at on their phones anyway we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can check out this person's sunglass sites and apparently he's using some some pretty advanced uh composite materials is that a that's the myers, myers 200 oh that doesn't look like a turboprop airplane at all. No. No. Okay. Anyway, uh, check it out. But apparently, uh, he has kind of come up with a solution for folks listening, looking for high-performance sunglasses and with very thin armbands or whatever you want to call them that work well with… Um, temples is what my good… Temples. That's Thank you. I knew there was something. It was called something. Okay. Do you want to share with everybody what you guys are laughing about? No. No. Okay. No. Family show. Family okay. show. I think we're, we're we're getting close to the breaking point here on this show. That I must, side of the room is obviously had too much to drink. Yeah, they've had way too much to drink. I think. Oh boy. Um. Quickly, uh, some audio that I think it applies to most of us here in the room regarding EFBs. This is uh, Chris Dean, and I need to do this quickly to kind of regain control <laughs> of, of what's going on here in this room. Yeah, I'll try. Greetings, APG crew. Hey, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Captain Dana, and Dr. Steph. Hey, this is Chris, otherwise known as Flying Maps on Slack. And I'm sending my first audio feedback, if I can get the recorder to do what I want it to do. Um, been having some technical difficulties. Hopefully this makes it through. But just wanted to add a quick audio feedback to a post I made on Slack earlier today. And it was really to let you guys know that the FAA has just made some changes to their guidance around electronic flight bag. Um, this is very relevant to my line of work. I work at uh, Jeppesen uh, on their EFB program. And for those of you using EFB, I know, um, you know, Captain Jeff, Dana, and also Captain Nick use EFB. There has been some really good advancement in FAA guidance in the past week. They just published a revision to their advisory circular related to EFB. And the most exciting thing that came out of that if FAA documents can be exciting, is to allow for the display of ownership uh, as an overlay on your EFB in all phases of flight. Up till now, it's been available just on uh, airport surface, so uh, taxi charts and the like. But now, as of last week, their advisory circular now allows for ownership in all phases of flight. So, uh, you know, we all got better situational awareness around uh, the airport surface a couple of years ago with uh, the last revision, but this revision now allows for own ship in all phases of flight, including, you know, SIDSTAR approach, in routes, everything. Um, it's going to show, you know, it's going to allow for much better situational awareness, obviously. Uh, but then when you do more exciting things like uh, overlaying 
uh, weather as well and knowing where that is in relationship to where your aircraft is. This is something that uh, has been available in the GA market, you know, part, 90, part 91 for a long time, but um, pretty exciting that we're able to finally do that in the airline market now as well. So, um, Captain Nick, um, we're continuing to work with uh, EASA, uh, the, I should say the entire industry, not just Jefferson, uh, but uh, working with EASA as well to have similar guidance be published um, for all of the European countries that follow that guidance. Um, it's going a little bit slower, but uh, we're still still fighting the fight there as well. So unless Acme Red has already gotten um, authorization through your CAA, uh, this one's going to be just for uh, U.S. only for now. So anyway, looks like I'm about out of time. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you very much, Chris, for that uh, gr great information for those of us who uh, use electronic flight bags. And I just want to say that I've lost complete control. Of, uh, <laughs> you, you really have, but I'll try to bring it back here. So he, he was just talking about where you can see your own position on charts and mm -hmm. things like that, right? I have that now, yeah. Steph. Yeah, we've had that forever. I mean, no, I can pull no, up on my... my airline, we just got it like in the past 10 days. Yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. all your... It, we used to have it just on the ground, the the 10-9 page we call it, the airport diagram. But now right. we have it on the approach charts, the stars, the SIDs, our high charts, our low charts. Any well, page this. of a JEPS that's geo-referenced, I can see my exact position. Yep. Can you send Lucky. your your chart to the map, though? <clears throat> so you can see where it is on the map and where you are on the map? Uh, the actual approach plate? like this I don't, no, know, no, I don't think do i can do it that way yet there's yeah. uh steph there's some airports with four flight that are going to starting to do that and even with flight deck pro for the 121 world that yep. is uh declined in their technology like us you uh us ga guys are but um jefferson is starting to do that with all of their insulted the, yeah. yeah yeah i did I'm, I'm i'm sorry but the the ga community is a step ahead of i have more information in my oh, beach yeah. musketeer oh, yeah. from 1963 than you guys have in your seven threes your seven fives and yeah. all of that mad uh, dog and the mad dogs yes i there's a lot more information in the flight deck on many other we aircraft don't want all that information dogs. it's distracting well, the puppy dog has more information than the mad dog does yeah yeah i mean but the, the industry is moving that way to put a lot of good information on the on on the EFB on the flight decks and all, on the things like that. I'm I'm very glad the FAA has realized and went through and looked at and said it's okay for pilots to know where they are on the approach plate, opposed to them having to kind of think about it in their head. It really takes a mental a mental comp computation out of your head for to say, okay, I think I'm here. I'm going here. And now you say, or oh, I am here. I see that I'm here. I know that I'm here and I'm going this way. I mean, it, it's great on their approach plate. It's great. Um, I saw it in the, in the back seat when I was flying up to Chicago last week, I, I generally use for flight when mm -hmm. I'm flying in the back of an airliner. I kind of know the routes and the arrivals. I've, dispatched hundreds of airplanes on them before mm -hmm. i can see where we're going i know the routes we're going to take and this is this was the first time last week where i was able to put the the star onto the on the moving map for me so i mean yeah. it, it's a well, great I've, technology yeah i've done the exact same thing and i did it on a uh, flight into barrow alaska where we actually had to go around because the visibility and ceilings were not great and i could watch the entire fly the entire published missed approach back around <laughs> which was really neat. So, 
like it's just awesome situational yeah. awareness so well we're finally catching up you've caught up? getting close to catching up yeah. you guys are almost there and, yeah. and and the experimental guys are light years in front of us yeah, because they don't need I'm certification. Sure. Nope, as near as much as we do. Nope. That's all. That's really what holds us back. If if you really want the best technology in aviation, you look at the experimental aviation first because yeah. they don't need the certification. Then you look at GA, and then you look at the airline in the 121 world. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good news. Thank you, Chris, for uh, for letting us know about that. Um, we're going to wrap up the show soon, but before we do, I thought that this was really interesting. I don't know if you guys were able to see this. Um, Larry Geezer from uh, Tulsa uh, says, I always thought you guys were joking about chemtrails, but there will be a low-level dispersions just a few miles north of Tulsa. Can you suggest any countermeasures to take? And then he gives us a link here, and he said he's looking for a geezer-sized gas mask. <laughs> and uh, the article talks about homeland security to begin spraying chemicals into the air to simulate a biological attack. There is a known cure for chemtrails. It's on YouTube. You get a spray bottle, spritz bottle full of oh, half, vinegar, half of vinegar, half water. Yeah. Spray that, and it disperses it. And wow. So, <laughs> but so or a tinfoil hat or tinfoil. I mean, yeah. Hat, that works yeah. as well. But, but this is serious, though. I mean, Dihydrate. we joke around about yeah. this. This one's real. But uh, dihydrogen monoxide is a real problem. Oh, it is it really because is. you can't breathe it. You'll no, die. No, no. <laughs> Seriously. It's odorless. Yes, it is odorless, flavorless. tasteless uh, or flavorless. Thank you. Uh, and if you breathe too much of it, you'll die. Yeah. Um, the Department of Homeland Security plans to conduct chemical and biological testing near the border between Kansas and Oklahoma in January and February and again in June and July to determine how much protection people would receive from being inside a house or an apartment in the event of a biological terrorist attack. According to a statement on the Homeland Security, our friends at the Homeland Security Department. Our friends, Yay. for sure. And they said this study is part of the department's ongoing commitment to preparedness and the shared responsibility of protecting the nation's critical infrastructure. The purpose of this study is to gather data that enhances our predictive capabilities in the event of a biological agent attack. Specifically, this work will help in predicting the extent to which an in intentional release of a biological agent may penetrate single family and multifamily structures. These tests will release inert chemicals and biological materials that will be used to measure the amount of material that penetrates the buildings under varied conditions. And so uh, they're going to be using, let's see, I'm trying to go forward here in the article. Article. Um, they're going to use titanium dioxide, titanium dioxide and urea powder mixed with CL fluorescent brightener. Uh, for the biological portion of the test, it plans to release genetic barcoded spores of a biological insecticide known as native BTK, which is sold under the brand name of Dipel. Dipel is not considered a hazard by the Environmental Protection Agency when handled appropriately. Keywords. Appropriately. Handled. But I think if you probably breathe it, it's not appropriate. And the other thing is that the first thing that you mentioned, Jeff, is actually listed as a carcinogen. Yeah. If you breathe it. Uh, yes. And they're going to dump. <laughs> thinking, is this a joke? Nope. 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 Not a joke. Uh, I think if I lived in this I'd area, vacation. I'd leave. I would at the very end of the article. It says that the public has 30 days to submit comments on the environmental assessment to Homeland Security about the proposed tests by email at 
biotest at hq.dhs.gov or by mail to and they give a address there. We'll put this in the show notes and you have to do this before December 8th. And they're serious about this is not we're not kidding here. They actually are going to be doing chemtrails and and substances to see uh, see what happens on people. I find I thought I read this article a little while ago and I was like, really? Yeah. I mean, this has got to be a joke. Yeah. No, I you know, I guess they want something that they can measure more beer. But if it's something that's in the air, that's measurable, that's not supposed to be there. I I don't know. I have questions yeah, about crop that. Testing's bad enough, you know, as far as, as the yes, insecticides yes. and oh, fertilizers go. Yeah. You know, so. yeah, and this is going to be stuff that's like they're dropping low to the ground. Of course, you know, you, the, the, the chemtrail conspirists. Um, yeah, I think you know, we're up there at altitude. Yeah, up at, you know, doing the contrails up at 30 something thousand feet. Uh, that's just ridiculous. Uh, that, you know, by the time it gets down to Earth, uh, it's been dispersed. But uh, these airplanes are going to be dropping chemicals like low to the ground. And uh, I, I just, I, I, I read this and thought that this can't yeah. be true. Wow. Chemtrails are a real thing, I guess. I guess the EPA doesn't have to do environmental impacts. Not on themselves. <laughs> not no. on themselves. <laughs> I guess Technically, not. it's this is a type of environmental impact study. It's just a real yeah. life. And how many people are going to actually know about this stuff? I mean, people well, that... You the know, article even mentions the, the well, city that's downwind didn't know about it until this article came out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was in... A local newspaper, right? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Everybody reads the no- local newspaper. New Kirk, <laughs> Oklahoma, wherever that is. That's somewhere between the Oklahoma and Kansas yeah. border. Go ahead, Mike. Sell now. If you have real estate, just sell now and move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little late now. No, I had it bought. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Waterfront property <laughs> in Nevada. Oceanfront? Yeah. Oceanfront, yeah. There you go. Perfect. All right. And I'm going to do one more here uh, w- uh, because before, it's a- Before you do that- Yeah. Colonel Jeff, I have something for him. I'm afraid to look. No, that's probably not a good idea. I can't feel my legs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's probably true. So right. (laughs) I had to do that. I'm sorry. By by the way, you have all the legs tomorrow, especially if there's any sort of crosswind. (laughs) They're they're, they're cached. (laughs) Tell me me which way to move the tiller tomorrow, right? When to put the brakes on. Oh, we had a catastrophe. All right, here we go. Uh, wh- I can't feel my legs. <laughs> Is that from the uh, discount pilot guy? Discount airline pilot nice guy? Nice cold Bud Lido, skipper of the skies. Yes. You put the fly in fly by night operation. Mr. Discount Airline Pilot Guy. <laughs> That's how I came up with airline pilot guy. <laughs> 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 I just took off the discount part. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Willem Jan uh, sent us some feedback. We, we talked about on the last episode, um, Fokker Airplanes, F-O-K-K-E-R. Uh, after the last plane tales, there was some confusion about the origin of I'm going to say Fokker. Fokker. As Fokker was a Dutch company, we wondered how they got involved in making airplanes for the German army. I did a little bit of research and wanted to share that with you all. In the plane tales, we heard about William George Barker, a Canadian pilot during World War I. When Barker started his flying career, the British had a hard time against the Fokker Eindecker, a plane used by the German army. 
That plane, as well as the technique that allowed pilots to shoot through the propeller arc, was developed by Anthony Fokker. Anthony Fokker was born in 1890 in a Dutch colony. At age four, they moved back to the Netherlands. In 1910, age 20, Anthony... Okay, what are you guys doing over there? <laughs> just heard all kinds of noise in the microphone. <laughs> okay. Um, take two. Uh, at age four, they moved back to the Netherlands. In 1910, age 20, Anthony went to Germany to study where he developed his first airplane, the Spin, Dutch for Spider. After that success, he founded his first company in 1912 in Berlin. He sold multiple Spin airplanes to the German government. At the beginning of World War I, the German government took control of the factory. Anthony remained as director and during that period was involved with the making of the Fokker Eindecker monoplane and the Fokker Drydecker triplane, which became famous as the airplane in which Manfred von Richthofen, the Red Baron, flew. After the war, Anthony moved back to the Netherlands. There, he started a new company that would become the world's largest aircraft manufacturer in the late 1920s. Keep the blue side up and continue with this great podcast, Willem Jan. And he said, P.S., is there already a cure for APG syndrome? I might or might not have listened to the first 55 episodes in the last few weeks. Ooh. What wow. do you say about that? Yeah, fifty-five episodes in two weeks. Wow, that's, that's, that's one of the most acute, serious cases I've ever he's heard. Definitely of. a patient. Yes, yes. You know, he he may want to try this uh, cure, and that's yes. not been oh, oh, oh. approved the by the FDA. But good luck with it. <laughs> Why, hello there. My name is Miami Hick, and I'm here to talk to you today about an embarrassing subject that no one likes to talk about: APG syndrome. Do you have a constant pain in your neck from always looking up at airplanes? Have you tried to grow your own Captain Jeff mustache? Do you think of Miami Rick every time you hear a cricket? Think of Captain Nick when you hear a frog croak. Think of Dana whenever you eat Boston baked beans. Do you think of Dr. Steph whenever you get stuck with a needle? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you are suffering from APG syndrome. We'll suffer no more. Introducing Go Around the Ceiling. With only 36 daily doses of an easy to swallow pill, you can be free of your symptoms with Go Around the Ceiling. Talk to your doctor today and find out if Go Around the Ceiling is right for you. Like all medicine, Go Around the Ceiling has side effects which include headache, nausea, vomiting, stomach bleeding, bleeding from the ears, nose, and eyes, uncontrolled diarrhea, stomach cramps, yellowing of the teeth, hair, and toenails, warts, hair loss, dry mouth, constipation, and stomach cramps. All right. You might want to check that out, Willem, Jan, um, and uh, Miami Hick. If you're listening, we miss you. All right. With that, I think that uh, we've been going long enough for uh, this particular episode. It's been a crazy one. Not your normal <laughs> APG episode. What are you talking about? I thought this is pretty much standard. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's no, right, really. up, right up to the normal alley. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we are looking forward to uh, the next episode, which is the Big 300. And uh, if you're, again, in the Atlanta area and you want to join us, please do, because I think you're going to have a blast. 
but uh, you might want to have a designated driver. <laughs> Uber. Uber. There you go. Or, or a tent or a Bring sleeping a bag or yeah, that's true. something. So, hey, um, if you want to learn more about the show, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, the wonderful website that Arash Mahin has uh, uh, kind of put together for us. Uh, where you can learn about the APG crew, the community, merchandise, the coffee fund, and uh, more. Yeah. And uh, and uh, let's see, you can also learn about how you can uh, download and uh, load up on your smartphones and mobile devices uh, the APG app, which is free and is uh, ad-free as well. And uh, again, you can look at the show notes uh, wherever you uh, find your podcasts, whether it be iTunes or – let's see, st- uh, what, what are some of the other um, – the uh, tune in um, Stitcher, Stitcher, Stitcher dot com. I uh, let's see, tune in radio, um, iHeart radio, uh, iTunes is the big one, but we're all over the place. And of course, if you want to watch the the uh, the mayhem as we record these shows, uh, check out the YouTube channel, airlinepilotguy.com. dot I highly recommend it. I'm sorry, YouTube dot com slash airline pilot guy. There you go. Where's the pizza? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Did somebody order the pizza? I forgot. Crap. Uh, shoot. Oh, well. I forgot. Um, anyway, uh, we are also on social media, and our social media expert, Dr. Steph, will tell you about that. And hopefully you can hear me okay, because I've not been able to hear you all very oh, well for the past two We months, hear you. That's, okay, good. So, I'm going to go ahead with the social media stuff. You can find us on um, Twitter. We're there at APG Crew is the handle. You can find all of our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. Um, feel free to tweet us there and we will get back to you um, with whatever your uh, with answers to your questions or comments. And also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, seems to be mostly headed up by Captain Nick, but join us there. There's lots of community information and meetup information and uh articles that the community uh, finds interesting and wants to share with with everyone so definitely check those out and we will see you there and don't forget about slack stuff hello nope. hello. Hello. hello hello come on out he's been in my closet okay here, make make room for him on this bed <laughs> apg listeners comes. please join us on our slack team on slack we share news and ideas we suggest episode and plain tales topics we plan meetups and events to get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. Okay, now get off the bed, Hillel. Go back to the closet. I need to, st- I need to stretch I can't my, my legs. legs. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Thank you, Hillel, for that information about Slack. And uh, let's see, I guess until we meet again. Uh, next week. Next week, yeah. Uh, Nine days. Yes, wishing you... Very soon. Rub it in. Yes, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Bye, See everybody. Cheers, See ya. Have a good night. Woohoo! 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 Good day. I don't know what I'd like. Maybe my volume's just not turned up high enough. Something fine yeah. to me, but whatever works for. Well, normally what I do when I'm doing that, <laughs> I've got all their mics turned off. <laughs>
What? For, for good reason. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about just leaving him that way. The whole darn thing. It will make my job much easier. It will. It'll make editing a lot easier. <laughs> All right. I think I need to have a, have more beer. Yeah, have a, have a sip. Everyone take a sip of beer. Every time we have to restart the show, you got to take a drink. It's a, hey, everybody take oh, a swig. Okay. <sighs> <sighs> All right. Chat room, that includes you too. Yeah, drink up. Good. Yeah, yes. drink up. Wow. <sighs> All right, let's try this again. Good thing we have a whole cooler full. And joining me as usual, not always, but most of the time, we have a doctor. Nope, that's the wrong one. <laughs> Stand by for news. Wait a minute. That's not right. All right. We have also one of the regular APG crew, Dana, former regional jet pilot, now mainline Acme captain, Dana. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning, if you haven't been here in the morning. Great to be back on episode 299. And uh, looks like we're going to have a lot of fun in a small room with uh, no air conditioning on and five adult males. <laughs> I'm not hearing uh, your microphone yeah, I can't hear Dana at all. Yeah, we're not hearing you, Dana. Well, just hang on. Oh, can you it's get on? to yeah. the door, Mike? Yeah. That's probably uh, check Jesus. Yeah, I don't know why it's not on. I, I, I have this thing unmuted. Choo, choo, choo. Oh, there now, we go. Now it's working. Now you can hear me. Wow, what is going on with this? You. Thing? You. Now I hear you uh, too well. Well, here, let me move it back a little bit. There okay. That's probably better. Hey there. Oh, this guy does not have any idea what's, what's going, going on. <laughs> so we got plenty here. A, another person walked into the room, another airline pilot. What's his, what's his name? Jesus. Jesus. How you doing? Oh, right. He's he brought some beer as well. Uh, we can we can talk about you once we continue the show. <laughs> we, I wonder if we just just start over from from the top. Okay. Probably not a terrible idea. Yeah. Everyone drink. Yeah, okay, everybody take Thanks. another drink. Here we go. Start over? Yeah. <laughs> take five. <laughs> I would say that the Flying Life podcast today was done in one take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you how, very much. How many for... hosts did you have? <laughs> two. There's <laughs> two of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. Not six. Mm. Well, you've been doing it a lot longer than I have. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sneeze. <laughs> airline pilot guy episode almost 300 no why is he doing that this is probably the worst episode start ever take six you gotta do some outtakes come on okay uh hey just before you wait hold on we can have another drink on that note well i had to get that up i had to get that out oh better out than in okay please tell me that's gonna be a new sound effect because that was perfect save save that what's your macbook battery life at it is uh at 88 oh good we're still good is yours good oh i'm plugged in you're plugged in i brought my charger (laughs) (laughs) another backhand god i'm not really feeling a lot of love here tonight (laughs) 
at all. We love you, Captain Jim. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Well, thanks, Steph. (laughs) 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 Okay, I am muting everybody. (laughs) That was way too easy. (laughs) Oh, shoot. I can still hear him on my mic. Damn it. Okay, here we go. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly Omega Airline pilot guy He can land in heavy expressed on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard, on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast. It ain't Boeing, I ain't going.